Now, is this a Monday or a Tuesday? It's a Monday for everybody but the three of us. <laughs> but we're going to throw in the towel for 15 minutes today, right? And replay the Joseph uh-huh. Newgarden yeah. clip from uh, We're going to throw in the towel. <laughs> we are 30 seconds into the show, and Kevin says, you know what? We're just going to throw in the towel. It's going to be transparent, honest with our audience that here. Is, that is fair, and it is spectacular outside did i see this week though we're creeping into like mid-july weather are we really action i mean no rain but you know i always certainly thought about this with how great and just tame the temperature was on sunday for the 107th running the 500 yeah this week looks like it will be in to the 90s Uh, two days left in the month of may so i know there was a good chunk of our listening audience that did not tune in yesterday, understandably, so we will replay the Joseph Newgarden interview coming up here in just a bit. We will have on live Bob Kravitz at 9, and Santino Ferrucci, a fan favorite, on at 7, no, 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 not 7. 9.30. 9.30. Thank you, Mark. Uh, clearly, I'm still thinking that it is Monday. Uh, so, yeah, Newgarden coming up around 7.30-ish, Bob Kravitz at 9, Santino Ferrucci at 9.30. Good Tuesday morning to you. As Jake said, it is a very nice start to this Tuesday, and probably everyone is feeling that besides those in Boston right now. Man, how about, I mean, could we could not have been more, at least I, I can't speak for you, Kevin. I could not have been more wrong, because once it got to 3-3, it seemed a certainty that Boston was going to win Game 7. I realized that Jason Tatum was banged up, but I thought they did a really good job at the end of the broadcast of pointing out you know, the Miami Heat this year were, were fourth in the NBA in games missed by their roster. Tyler Hero's been out forever, and he's a 20-point-per-game scorer. And they absolutely laid it to the Boston Celtics. And Charles Barkley was extremely candid after the game. Candid's probably the wrong word, but uh, critical of saying, look, Boston ran no offense. They have. He's like you can only win on talent for so long. They have no no discipline. Yeah, he was ripping them. Yeah, they just they're just out there. I mean, they do have two great players. I, I, I mean, I love Jalen Brown. I love Jason Tatum's game. They have two great players, and Derek White was very underrated in the series. I, I mean, he's you know finally started to get some love. But speaking of love, how about this? Kevin Love every time he's ever been to the playoffs has made the finals in his career. Really. How about that? Kevin Love has never played on a playoff team that didn't make the finals. Three finals for him? Just sign him up. You know, what stood out to me from last night was, if you're going to sit here and tell us yesterday at 7 a.m., hey, the Heat are going to win this game, the Heat are going to win going away, I would have said, oh, did Jimmy Butler have 50 or 52? Right. Did Jimmy Butler have 48 and 12? And Jimmy Butler was really good last night. I think he had 28, so I don't want to act like Jimmy Butler was some no-show. But in a Game 7 on the road in the conference finals, a dude that was cut by the Charlotte Hornets two years ago scores 26 points. Yeah. I mean, these undrafted guys continue to, no matter the stage, no matter the magnitude, they rise to the occasion. I mean, Jake, to your point, it wasn't Kevin Not that Kevin Love is, you know doing what he used to do in the NBA, but it wasn't Bam Adebayo. It wasn't even like a Kyle Lowry turning back the clock six years. It was Caleb Martin making big play after big play, being the sidekick to Jimmy Butler, and boy, they just punked Boston at home. You you know what the Miami Heat are? 
and hear me out on this, the Miami Heat are the New England Patriots of the NBA. Now, they're more likable. I get it. But they have a system that takes players that probably wouldn't start elsewhere or be stars, but collectively, they all know their role. They play very well together, and they're led by a guy that seemingly is just as good as the superstars in his position, but he was drafted much later than they were and is fueled by that. I mean, I mean they, they now seemingly it is like a this is the most overused word in sports and I'm embarrassed that I'm using it right now but I can't think of another one to use because in this case it's applicable you go in culture yes in this case it's applicable we, we we hear about it way too much well you know they have a culture every 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 franchise every every single fan base on earth claims their program or their franchise has a culture well you know they just have a culture i like but miami truly does i mean it it does feel like in order to play there you have to buy into a certain system like the miami heat are the are the afc richmond of of the nba because it's just a group of guys that that seemingly completely buy in together and and get along with one another and they might not be the most individually talented but as a unit, they're really good. Yeah, locally, I, I think of it's not necessarily the case still today. And obviously, Thad Mata hopes it gets back there. It's a little Butler way-ish. Right, which is ironic because they just knocked out Brad Stevens. Yeah, and I guess their best player's last name is Butler as well. Um, we will have three Indiana Hoosiers in the NBA Finals with Cody Zeller, Victor Oladipo, of course, Victor not playing, uh, and then Thomas Bryant for the Nuggets. The Finals get started on Thursday. Denver is the heavy favorite. Something's got to give on Thursday. Denver hasn't lost at home all playoff long, and Miami hasn't lost a game one all postseason long. It's just wild to think that you go back a month and a half, and with three minutes to go in the second play-in game, the Miami Heat were down three to the Chicago Bulls. Like, their season was three minutes away from being over. Over. Yeah. And now they've gone on one of the more remarkable runs, really, in NBA history, particularly in the modern era when you have these seven-game series and theoretically the best team is able to outlast it. But, you know, Boston said to everybody last night, hey, remember, we were down 0-3 for a reason. And in case anyone forgot about that, just watch. This is one of the darkest days in Boston sports history. (laughs) So how about them and the Bruins, right? Yeah. Boston, the only... Two teams to lose game sevens and well, cry me a river NBA. for the long suffering mm-hmm. Boston exactly. yeah, yeah. Well, they haven't had a Woe championship in eighteen months or whatever it's been. Woe is me on that front. So good Tuesday morning to you, uh, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dyketon here. Jake, it, it, I feel it. I'm sure you probably feel it even more. Granted, you're going to be on the road this weekend, but is the high starting to come down? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you you know the the post 500 crash of the energy and everything else i mean the weather helps right the fact it's like i mean yesterday and today just beautiful kind of gives you a lift but you know the one thing that that makes me sad i love race day i love everything about the race but i think the thing that makes me this the most sad when i look back and it's over is the parade i i know that sounds crazy I think it's because the the 500 Festival Parade 
is the one tradition in the month of May where I have no responsibilities. And it's also the eve of the event. You know when you're at the parade, like, it's yeah. here, man. Mm-hmm. It's here. There's just such One more a- sleep. Correct. I love it. So, yeah, it's definitely, you know, I, I think the challenge for IndyCar is this, Kevin, and that is, I was asking someone this yesterday, and I don't know the answer. I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the snow globe, so you guys are much better barometers on this. What percent, there are, there were three, let's say 325. There were 325,000 people there on Sunday. It's probably a little inflated number, but... And I think Doug Bull said to us yesterday, I thought he said 330, not to... Yeah, I mean... I, go down even more of a rabbit hole. And but. I think that, that that... I mean, I will say by looking around, I'm like, man, I mean, <laughs> it, pretty hard to argue that. But so, of that, let, let's just say 330 then. Of that 330,000 people, how many of them are aware of the fact that IndyCar has a race this weekend on the streets of Detroit? Yeah, it's it's probably a small number, probably a really small number that could say the city, for sure. Um, yeah, the sustainability of it is always the great debate on May 30th and May 31st every year. Um, you know, part of me, Jake, was thinking a little bit more Indy 500-centric and less series-centric, and watching the banquet last night and... You know, even the amount of numbers that were shared from qualifying weekend had, what was it, 80,000? I believe the carb day number, I thought I saw 75,000 for that. Obviously, race day, it's the second largest crowd in the last 25 years. Does this continue to go up? Like, what is this a post-pandemic high? Is this a... The numbers were always trending high even before Sunday's weather looked great. Right. So, like, why? I mean, is this really building momentum? Is are is this the new norm? Those are all questions that have kind of run through my head. I love it. I think it's awesome. Great for IMS. I love it for our city. Walking around on Sunday morning, you're like, oh, my gosh, we're all in this together. And there's not you know a lot what? of events that we have where, like, everybody's in unison together on that. And I'm thinking to myself, what does that look like in 2026? Yeah, what does that look like in 2028? It's a good question. I'll, I'll tell you what I think they've done correctly. And hear me out on this because it's going to sound crazy. There are a lot of people, understandably so, that are cynical about the fact that, you know, IMS, I used to go out there, but they turned it into Disney World. I mean, they got them viewing mounds with kids kicking soccer balls. That's ridiculous, man. That's where we used to funnel beers on top of pickup trucks. And I get it. I mean, there is no doubt about the fact that part of what made the 500 great was the debauchery of it. And part of what still makes it great is the debauchery of it. But what they really did do a good job of, I think, Kevin, was to say, if you want to come to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to drink as much beer as possible and wear cutoff jeans and a tank top and let it all hang out and not be the office clerk accountant for the weekend. Yeah, take a nap in the trough. Correct. Then then we have areas where you can do that. We have a snake pit just for you. Now, that's for younger people, admittedly. We have an area, you know, like of turn three just for you. But if you want to come and bring your kids and not have them worry about necessarily being totally exposed to that or you want to come and 
actually eat a tenderloin and watch racing and get a suite or whatever, we have that for you as well. And I think for the last 20 years, 25 years, there was a concerted effort to make it a little bit more family-friendly, which bucked against the traditional fan, and I totally get that. But it's been long enough now that they've made that concerted effort that now I think people have figured out that whichever way or reason that you want to go when you go out there, there is a place for you there. So I do think that it, it involves a more versatile mindset of the reason that people would go. Yeah. And a big kudos to Doug Bowles for that. Does that, I, does that make sense what yeah, I'm saying? I, I mean, you guys are parents. I am not. Right. No, I, I, I think that's spot on. I've always felt this way about Doug Bowles. You know, I, I feel like he has such a great reverence for the history of that place, and he can talk to the 45 straight year turn three, you know, family or the, you know, whatever. I've been going to every race since 62, and yet at the same time, he can sit in a meeting and say, how do we reach those teenagers? 100%. And that's a fine balance, and it's a difficult thing to achieve. And I think Doug Bowles and his team have done a wonderful job of that. Um, victory banquet last night. The purse was over $17 million. That's the biggest purse in the history of the 500. Jake, I think it's an annual question that we have in the morning after the victory banquet each year. And feel free to kind of add on to this. The payouts are due to the place you finish, how well you qualify, and then your ability, or I guess not your ability, but whether you're a full-time driver or not, correct? The the last one being the biggest, yes. If you are a full-time team and driver within the IndyCar series, they have what's called the leader circle payout. It's kind of convoluted. I don't totally understand it. But there there are additional payments that go if you are a full-time dedicated to the season team. There is a baseline payment that you know if you if you make the race you are guaranteed X amount. It used to, I didn't see actually the full payout. I know that Newgarden got three point six six million and Erickson got just over one million. Yeah, seventeen. Just, um, just well, just I, I know, but I mean, person. I didn't see like what because you know usually last night I watched the banquet and um, I thought Alan Bestwick did a really good job. Calabro was out and Bestwick filled in. Thought he did a great job. Yeah, Georgia Hen- Georgia Henneberry who. Uh, has joined us on the radio network uh, of late, did a really nice job with the red carpet stuff, and then Scott Swan and Anne-Marie, it goes without saying, they're fantastic. Lindsay Zarniak has become a staple. But I love watching the the banquet. But they used to say with each driver what they were getting paid. Yeah. And I they didn't s- do that last night. So I saw, like, Ferrucci and Polo. So Ferrucci gets third, Jake. I think the number was 481000 for him. And then Polo right behind him is... 801,000. Okay. Now the, that's got to be based off pole position, correct? correct? And, correct. And, and I guess laps led? Does that, does that play There's into a little no, bit of here, it? Here are the things that go into it. There are all 200 laps have a sponsor. So somebody will say like, you know, I'm the lap 78 sponsor. So if Kevin and Corey, we should sponsor a lap next year. Sponsor a lap? Yeah. So, like, what lap would we sponsor? Of the 200, Mark, what would you pick? Probably what year Mayo was was built. Okay. Invented. I'll throw a number. Lap 69. Let's do that one. Oh, oh, oh. What? You said pick a lap. Kevin, I just got done talking about how it's, you guys are parents. Me. It's a family program. Okay. What's it's a number? Well, I'll tell you what. We'll double that then. Lap 138. Okay, right? fine. I think the Lord schools out. So, we're sponsoring lap 138. 
So we pay, I don't even know how much it is. Let's say it's $15,000. Whoever leads on lap 138 gets a $15,000 check from Kevin and Query radio program. How do I get in on that? <laughs> exactly. You, you come up with a better lap number. So, <laughs> so that factors into it, right? You lead 100 laps, you're getting all of those lap right. sponsor payments. You get so much for being the pole sitter. You get so much for turning the fastest lap. You get so much for, you know, there are all kinds of auxiliary bonuses that factor in. That's why the numbers are staggered throughout, depend, you know, because it is weird, right? When you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, like Ferrucci again in third place makes less money than several people behind him. That right. was a bit odd to see. I think 100000 was pretty much the barometer for the Catherine Legs of the world and, and, and the one-offs that um, certainly didn't finish well in that race. Um, and Jake, you have mentioned this before, but the payout to the driver itself, like of the $3.6 million, Joseph Newgarden is getting what percentage, you think? Okay. This is entirely dependent upon the driver's contract. So... Joseph Newgarden, when he was coveted by Team Penske and signed with them, probably had more leverage than, say, Augustin Canapino had when he signed with Hunkos Hollinger Racing. But on the high side, the driver gets usually 40%. Low side, maybe 30%. In addition to that, the driver depending on the driver, has an annual salary they signed for. Now, there are some smaller drivers who essentially drive for a share of the race winnings, and that's it, and they don't have a base salary. But your Scott Dixon's, Tony Kadans, Joseph Newgarden's of the world have a base salary, probably somewhere in the 2 to $3 million range, in addition to, typically, 40% the value of all winnings. So for Joseph Newgarden, three point six six million. The forty percent of that would be roughly, I'm guessing, one point four million, somewhere in that area. Um, and then, in addition to that, and one of the things I've mentioned this before that becomes a slippery slope: the driver also wins the pace car. And so, Newgarden won the pace car, but Dan Weldon, for example, in two thousand five, won the race and did so driving for Andretti Autosport, but then left to go to Chip Ganassi Racing. And when he left to go to Chip Ganassi Racing, Andretti Autosport said, well, you owe us 60% the value of the pace car because you were presented the pace car as the race winner, but technically speaking, the team gets 60% of your winnings. So he bought out the team for the pace car. at the price. He got it He got it 40% off, basically. Um, so that's how that works. Uh, Benjamin Peterson, Rookie of the Year, no surprise there, based off him qualifying in the middle of row four. Um, I did think maybe a few awkward interactions with Lindsey Zarniak last night, but again, I thought Alan Beswick did a really nice job, and I enjoy it. Maddie really enjoys watching it as well. There were some fun moments between some of the drivers up there on stage, but as you said, Jake, off to Detroit coming up this weekend. I was thinking about it yesterday. Newgarden, what, 32 years old? If you go back, I think it's back to maybe Dixon in 08, uh, every winner but one has been over the age of 30. And that was Alexander Rossi, the only sub-30-year-old wow. on like the fuel save of his life. Right. You know, that 
I mean, think about like the sub thirty year old Jakes that have been close. I mean, Carlos Munoz knocking on the door to win. You know, Pato Ward being right there as yeah. well. I mean, it's not like we don't have drivers under the age of 25, 27, 28 racing in the five hundred, let alone up there late in the race. But this continues a trend of again north of thirty. It's almost a little bit like when we got into the kind of that bless you, we got into that NFL trend there of you know all those over thirty year old quarterbacks. Of course, Brady being a big part of it, Super Bowl wise. And the question that I asked you and a lot of our guests quite a lot over the last few weeks: Would you take Ganassi or the field? Imagine saying to someone Sunday morning, "I'll give you Ganassi and Arrow." Yeah, or the field, and the field obviously wins that one. Do you remember me asking you, would you take a driver that is going to be the first ever from their country or the field? I do remember that, yeah. And yet, I'm about to sneeze again. And yet, you look at it, so New Garden, obviously not the first American to win, but then second place, or or second place, excuse me, um, Erickson. Erickson, also not the case, but then... You know, Polo would have been the first ever from his country. Pato would have been the first ever from his country. Um, there were a handful of others that kind of got shuffled back. But now the question becomes, who's the next first-time winner? Obviously, that's for another day, probably. But Yeah, I would say those... I the, mean, there are a lot of them, Those right? two Ps, Polo and Pato, probably a good place to start. Again, Joseph Newgarden, we're going to replay that coming up here in about 10 or 15. I thought it was... Um, Really, really enjoyed catching up with him yesterday morning. Um, I think you guys will enjoy just hearing kind of a variety of the stories from how his celebration got started, what his thought process was there with Marcus Erickson, and just overall, um, I thought he was pretty honest about getting the weight of the world off his shoulders and had had conversations with Tim Sendrick, the team president of Penske, saying, you know, I, I feel like at times I'm a disappointment to this team and not doing what Will Power, my teammate, did in 2018, not doing what my teammate Simon Pagino did in 2019. So um, I thought some pretty honest comments from Joseph yesterday. So we'll replay that here. Coming up, Bob Kravitz, 9 o'clock, Santino Ferrucci at 9.30. Um, again, understandably, Jake, this has kind of been on the back burner, but all of a sudden the deadline is tomorrow, I believe tomorrow evening. Uh, Zach Eady is still in the NBA draft. And um, you know, deadline spur action. I don't think we've had like a wave of underclassmen announce that they are coming back to their respective colleges. But this has gone, it's gone down to the wire. And we'll see if there has been a kind of a first round assurance anywhere or whatever Zach Eady needs to hear. We'll see if he hears that in the next 36 hours or so. But uh, I don't know, maybe a little nervous energy for the Boiler faithful. Interesting, isn't it? Because it seemed. Again, I've been told, not not emphatically or like, you know, officially, but I've been told that Zach Eady has supposedly said, like even internally, if I'm not a first-rounder, I'm not going. Kevin, uh, do you even, like, let's just look right now, the latest NBA mock draft. And you know what I say, mock drafts oftentimes simply good for mocking, but... They give you a barometer. Uh, I will let you, Mark Dykton, select. Are we going to go with Hoops Hype, Clutch Points, Sports Illustrated, Daily Knicks, or CBS Sports Nation? Hoops Hype. Let's go there. Hoops Ho- Hype. Gosh. Hoops Hype. I feel like I'm tongue twister there. Yeah. Uh, hang on. The, the chipmunk that runs my website went on a smoke break. Okay, he's back. Uh, here we go. 
Hoops Hype Mock Draft. I'm looking to see where we find Zach Eady or, for that matter, either of the two Indiana players or where they have the Pacers selecting, for example. Uh, the Boy, this does not look promising here. Or is that an undrafted sound? With the 16th pick and oh. the 2023 Hoops Hype NBA Mock Draft... The and it doesn't say the team here. That doesn't help. Whoever drafts sixteenth selects Jalen Hood Shafino from the University of Indiana. Yes, I know it's Indiana University, but that's how David Cerny starts. It's not it. bookmark hoops hype for our next mock draft <laughs> rundown here. Uh, selecting sixteenth is the Utah Jazz. That's yeah, I, I don't think we have seen Zach Eady in a single mock. And again, to be fair, you know how many of these mocks are updated like on May 29th, May thirtieth. You know. We talked a little bit about it last week. There did seem to be a little bit of buzz. Zach Eady had a really nice kind of post combine and some individual workouts, and you know maybe opened a few NBA eyes a little bit more. Now to the magnitude of hey, you're a guaranteed first round pick and all of that. We'll see, but I just think this is one Jake when he announced it. I just figured you know ninety ten that he's coming back to West Lafayette, and now it's like well, he's at least taking it to the deadline. Mark, who drafts thirty sixth? 36th is... Well, this only goes to round one. Let me find out. Full <laughs> order. Hold on. 36th is the Orlando Magic. Good. As if they don't have enough big guys. With the 36th pick in the 2023 NBA Hoops Hype Mock Draft, the Orlando Magic select Trace Jackson Davis from the mm. University of Indiana. Now that leaves... I'm down into the 50s here. Zach Eady's name is not even in most mocks. Still. I, I would agree with you. I would think for sure he's a second round pick at the very least. But I but again, don't think he's you know, played it, his way into the first. It, it seemed like there were there was a little bit more intrigue from NBA teams on Eady from a when they saw him work out, they were impressed from a stamina standpoint. They thought his movement was a little bit better than maybe he kind of got labeled as at Purdue. And I think we see it when he shoots his foul shots. I mean, it is a nice-looking yeah, stroke. for sure. And so I think there is a little bit of intrigue. Now, again, to the point where, boom, here's your guarantee, and I'm leaving West Lafayette. We'll find out in the next 36 hours. But that is a storyline to keep an eye on this week. The culture in week two of their OTAs, that was you know really on the back burner for us late last week because they had one last Thursday that was open to the media. Carb day was Friday, and... Your boy was drinking beer, so uh, we didn't talk a whole lot about that on Friday's <laughs> Your show. Your boy so was drinking beer. We'll touch on that here throughout the week as well. Again, Joseph Newgarden coming up in about 10-ish. Bob Kravitz, 9 o'clock, and Santino Ferrucci at 9.30. A little bit of a steamy week here in Indy, but the sun is out in full force here on this Tuesday morning. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Perhaps a parade day in Indy because a Boston sports team has been booted from the playoffs in pretty ugly fashion. The Celtics lay quite the egg at home in Game 7. The Miami Heat uh, really dominate the game from start to finish. They are in the NBA Finals, the second eight seed ever to go to the NBA Finals. They will take on the Denver Nuggets in Game 1 in Denver coming up on Thursday night. And last night, Jimmy Butler was pretty good, but Caleb Martin, the undrafted free agent who was once cut by the Charlotte 
Hornets. That is the Charlotte Hornets that will be drafting, what, two overall? Coming up here in uh, next month's draft, Martin, 26 points, 10 rebounds. He was outstanding all series long. Here was Caleb Barton after last night's Game 7 win. I mean, we've seen glimpses of it, but it finally feels like you tapped into that version of yourself. Uh, it just, you know, it, it feels good. I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, that that type of style never leaves you. Um, I feel like, uh, the, the, you know, <laughs> I knew it was going to come out at some point. It's just, you know, it's just a great feeling that it came out um, during a game seven on the road like this. Um, uh, but it just shows you that, you know, what I'm capable of. And I just want to continue to stay locked in. And, you know, I, I knew how they were going to guard me through this series, and I just want to take advantage of that. Jake, in his career, Caleb Martin had seven 20-point games in four NBA seasons. He just had three in seven Eastern Conference final games. The thing about Miami to me that is so impressive, Kevin, is if it's not Caleb Martin, who you could make the argument could have been MVP of the finals, to be honest with you. Jimmy Butler deserve it though, but if it's not Caleb Martin that's doing that for them, it's Duncan Robinson or it's Max Struess or it's you know what I mean. Like they just yeah, Gabe Vincent was huge. For Gabe him. Vincent, yeah. I mean, uh, credit to the Heat, man. They um, they got it done. Didn't think they would, and I'm actually glad they did. I, I, Charles Barkley said it best: Boston, loads of talent, not much discipline. Another um, example of taking the points. What's that? The road team oh, taking the points. Vegas the- did not respect Miami all season, nope. all series long. Nope. Made a lot of money if you did, if you took the heat all the time. National Hockey League last night. It was a game six and a chance for the Las Vegas Golden Knights to eliminate the Dallas Stars. Either one of you guys want to guess who won? Uh, the Golden Knights. Sin six City, nothing. baby. Now, how did you know that, Mark? Because I watched the game. Did Jake. you really? Yeah. Second. That's your second final series? I didn't watch all of it. I watched some of it. They've had a good little run here in their brief history, right? Yes. Well, you know, the, the, the Golden Knights... And the same thing happened with the Carolina Panthers and the Jacksonville Jaguars. When those two teams came into the NFL, people were like, this is amazing. Look how well they assembled their teams. They're great. The Golden Knights, the same thing happened in the NHL. It was set up for them. I'm not going to say to do this. I mean, I'm not trying to sell them short. But if I'm not mistaken, like not the, the same cap restrictions as, as other franchises right off the box, but also the way that the draft and supplemental drafts took place, it, it was set up for them to be competitive. They've taken it to another level, obviously. But kudos to them for it, right? Uh, that series will begin, is that a Friday? or a, Usually they just do kind of one Saturday. day. Saturday. Um, so the NBA Finals going to begin on Thursday. Their second game will be Sunday. So a little bit of stagger there between the NBA and the NHL. Nothing says hockey like Miami and Vegas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, MLB yesterday, speaking of parades, uh, the Oakland Athletics won. Really? And we should probably give more attention to the Reds sweeping the Cubs over the weekend. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no baseball. It was Didn't all really contribute a lot of time to that. Well, how yes, about this? Man. The the Cubs got swept by the Reds, and then they shut out the best team in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays, one nothing. yesterday. How about the Mark? Royals beating the Cardinals 7 nothing? That's mm-hmm. like win 15 for the Royals, right? And I do think around the state, a little bit of a rundown. Yesterday, you had the um, NCAA tournament announced for the Division One. You have Indiana State hosting a regional. That will be, you imagine if your teams, and you're thinking, all right, here we go, regional site. Uh, Terre Haute. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Wright State, North Carolina, and Iowa will be in the Indiana State Regional. So shout out to the Sycamores there. Indiana and Ball State head down to Lexington to face off in the Kentucky Regional there. And I saw you, Indy, 
made the Division II tournament. So I do feel like baseball, collegiate baseball in the state is a bit underrated. You had Notre Dame make totally. the College World Series last year. And Indiana year. State's been a good program. I mean, they've, they've been a real good program. Um, maybe not consistently, but they have had good teams over the last, quite frankly, 30 years, right? I mean, back when I was in college, they had a really good program. Um, Kevin, do you know Tom James? Sure. The Terre Haute writer? Yeah, yeah, a legend. Uh, Tom James once, I was doing a radio interview. We had him on, on a different show I was on, to talk about the Colts. Nice guy. I always liked him. Very good reporter. And at the end of it, I said, hey, Tom, just quick question. He said, okay. And I said, for years when I would drive on I-70 and enter into Indiana, there was like this strange odor in Terre Haute. Like, what is it exactly? And I think it's a paper mill. It's either a paper mill or like a soybean plant. Lafayette has the same thing as you go to the northeast of Lafayette. And he got so offended that within like 30 minutes, I was blocked from Tom James on all social media, and he never came on our show again. He's like, well, Jake, bring one of your 64 colognes over here and see if you can get rid of it. I, I mean, I can applaud somebody that with the passion for their hometown, but I wasn't criticizing it. I was just saying, I was literally asking, what is the factory that like produces the odd that scent? That stank is what you basically asked? Hell of a way to send yeah. off the interview there. I can't be the only that. one that noticed it when you used to drive on I-70. I don't think it's there anymore, but it was whatever it was. Whew. Now, side note, Indianapolis Indians doubled up Toledo 12-6 last night. That was a fun game They are home. Did you go? Mm-hmm. Gosh, you you guys go to a lot of Indians, Indians games. games. We went to the Indians game. Yeah, it was uh, well because there's no game today. They did dollar menu night and they did po- first post you know, game fireworks. I've been meaning so to ask you this, like Mark, and because I think it's great. Yeah, you have three girls, right? Uh-huh. You go to a lot, of, of, lot of road trips, right? Mm-hmm. You do Bucky's a lot. You go to like you go to 47 Indians games uh-huh. per summer. Uh-huh. And I'm just curious. It's really none of my business. But what are they paying you around here? Uh, well. Let's just say if they offered a $15,000 lap sponsorship, I would try to get in an Indy car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Indians home, I believe, next week as well. So a long homestand coming up here at Victory Field if you want to go check out the Indians. Half Mill Mark. That's your new nickname. Hell yeah. <laughs> Joseph Newgarden. That interview that we had with him yesterday, we'll replay that on the other side. Kevin and Quarry here on a beautiful Tuesday. Last night, Joseph Newgarden took home $3.66 million for winning the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Newgarden's cut of that, probably around 40%. That's estimated. The, uh, the rest goes to the team. In December of 2021, Joseph Newgarden visited the Estes Dairy Farm. and He's a huge milk advocate and does a lot of work with the American Dairy Association of Indiana. So Newgarden paid a visit to the Estes Farm when Carrie Estes was named as the Rookie Milk Presenter. You may remember that that's a two-year program where the a dairy farmer is selected to be the rookie. Then the next year, they are the veteran that hands the bottle of milk. And on Sunday in Victory Lane, it was Carrie Estes who handed the bottle of milk to the winner of the Indianapolis 500-mile race, Joseph Newgarden. And that was the first thing I asked Joseph Newgarden about when we talked to him yesterday after his win in the Indy 500. How cool is that? I, I saw Kerry there, and you know I've been to his farm. I met his family, and I I know exactly where that milk came from. So it was very cool. You know, it was a, a big deal to be a part of it. And you know, I, this this year more than ever, I've just felt the appreciation to to be in this race and and to have an opportunity to go for it. Um. And it was it was just amazing the whole thing you know it really come full circle from my side you know coming up here when I was younger with my dad to to race go karts and you know trying to get into the sport and to be here today with everybody um, yesterday I should say with everybody was just it was really thrilling. 
You know, when you, Joseph, it's interesting because, and I had mentioned this earlier on the show, you know, I've... I feel like I've known you since you were a kid, even though you were a young man, right? But you've, but, but from a racing standpoint, your your evolution and your maturation as a driver. When you got out of the car, what I saw was a guy that not only was soaking in the fact that he had just won the biggest race in the world, but a guy that felt like finally he could look at the 335,000 people and say, I did it. I, I finally did it because everybody here had expected me, maybe even unfairly, to have done this by now. Is there an element of truth to that relief that overcame you? I think for sure, you know, to a degree that that's accurate. Um, you know, the, the Indy 500, I think, stands alone as as the hardest race in the world to win. I, I you know, I, I definitely believe that. And it, it is an amazing event. There's there's nothing like it. There's nothing that rivals it. It's you know the single, you know it's the it's the greatest spectacle in racing for a reason. You know the name is so fitting, and there's so much pressure to it. And I, I don't I don't subscribe to you know the 500 being a necessity to make a career. I think I think most people do though. I think that's you know that is the pressure you feel when you're here. That 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 is that is the requirement. You know to have a complete career. And, you know, I think about all the people that probably either should have or could have won the race. And, you know, it's it's just not easy. It's not, it isn't, it, This place doesn't give anything to anybody. It doesn't owe anybody anything. You know, it, it, they don't just get handed out. You got to go earn it. And, you know, sometimes it can be the cruelest place in the world. But it, it is, it's an incredible honor to be able to win the race and to secure victory here. And... You know, for me, it, it it has definitely lifted a weight. You know, whether that weight should be there or not is a different discussion. But there's a weight to it, and it it was lifted yesterday. It, I feel different, <laughs> and uh, and maybe not for the reasons that everyone would think. Joseph, congratulations. Um, it was an unbelievable finish, of course. I thought the celebration was maybe more incredible than what you did on the final lap. How spontaneous was the celebration? Did you know there was a gap in the fence there that all of a sudden you got to people that have been slamming beers all day? <laughs> I've been wanting to do that for years. I, 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 no one, I've not told. There's about one person in the world that, that knew that I wanted to do that. I've been wanting to for yeah, ever since I was a rookie here in, in 2012, I thought it would just be incredible to to go into the energy of this crowd. There's nothing like the Indy 500 crowd. It's just a it's a magical place, as as we all know, and um, it's really uh, it's something to behold in person. And you know, I, I said if I if I'm lucky enough to win this race, that's what I'm doing. I want to I want to go into the crowd. I knew exactly where that location was. I've been scouting that for years, and uh, I, I couldn't wait to get down there. I was, I was. Everyone went quiet on the radio, which was funny. I, I was on the the cool down lap, and I was freaking out, and I was trying to message the team and tell them where I was going, and just I had no response. Everyone was gone. So, I, you know, obviously, I thought that was probably a good thing, but it was just it was funny that no one was responding to me after the race. Could you walk us through your emotion sitting there on pit lane before I guess the final red flag and the line that you ended up taking on lap two hundred? How did that play out from your vantage point and passing Marcus there on the backstretch? Yeah, you know, really, this race could have unfolded probably. 
10 different ways. I'm, I'm sure more, uh, it, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, we didn't predict three red flags. You know, we didn't even predict the first red flag. You know, if we could have, we, we would have gone green to the finish um, before that, that, you know, before the first red flag, then, you know, we were sitting in a good spot. Um, the second red flag was a bit awkward. And then the last one, as you said, it was just, it was a single lap. And I knew that, you know, this this was what it was all going to be right here, and we had to put it on the line. And you know, we were in a good spot. We really were. We were, we were where we needed to be. First or second is you know where you, where you wanted to be positioned there at the end. Um, with ten to go, maybe maybe you could have still been third. But when it really got down to it, you needed to be first or second. And you know, I didn't have anything planned. I just knew I needed to get to the lead as quickly as I could. And I didn't I didn't get him on the front straight. He actually got a really good jump, and I think that worked to my advantage. And obviously, you saw the snaking that's been happening here. I guess people are calling it the dragon, um, but you know the you know the, the weave that has to happen to try and break the draft is just really necessary because it's so much easier to to tow up to a car than what it's been in years past. And so Marcus was trying to break the tow, and you know we had an amazing runoff too. And I thought I thought we'd probably be pretty good to the line, but he had a great run back at me coming off turn four. So I I just had to be as aggressive as possible. I just you know, I wasn't going to give this one up. I mean, we were in position for it. And so I was going to be as aggressive as I could off the four. That's what you saw me do. Joseph, I'm sure you know. Joseph Newgarden is our guest, the winner of the 107th Indy 500 on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Uh, obviously, there has been critique, certainly from Marcus Erickson, I mean, understandably, about the decision to red flag it at the end. It worked out for you. I thought personally the racing gods kind of balanced out because I thought when Pato hit the wall, my first thought was Newgarden just won the race because it's going to go to caution here for the last five laps or whatever it was. And they red flagged that. And then, of course, you get another one in there. But can you uh, – and I know it worked out for you, rightly so. But can you can you understand or speak to the criticism that people have of doing the red flag when there's only one lap left? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I think they – they did the right thing to throw another red, you know, I mean, where does it stop? You know, that would be my question. Why did to your point, Jake, why did we even, you know, then you'd go back and say, well, why did we even throw the first one? And I, I really, I get the effort these days to give us a good show to the finish. I think actually the second red flag, you know, if we, if we didn't get that one, that would have been the most, most shamed to, to finish under. It was such an awkward restart. You know, we had, we didn't even get a restart, and then it went red. And, and if the race ended on that one, I think that would have been more silly. So I, I, I thought it was great that they had a final lap shootout. I've got no problem with it. You know, Obviously, it worked out great for us, so we're all happy. I mean, everybody else is leaving with a broken heart, except for one team. And But that's Indianapolis. and it's, that's I've, I've lived that life 11 years before this, um, but I have no problem with it. You know, I, I've... If anything, I think about the numerous races. I mean, I, there's way more than a handful uh, amount of races where things, you know, I said, I wish that was different, you know, or, or I felt like we didn't get luck or, or whatever you want to call it. And I don't think we got lucky yesterday by any means, but you know what? We didn't get any bad luck. We had no bad luck yesterday. And uh, that was that was just, that was big for us to secure the win, was to not have anything go against us. So I was... I was really thankful they did what they did. I, I'm, I'm glad the crowd got a great final lap. You know, we, we, we raced to the line. And not, not that there's anything wrong with winning under yellow. I've, I've won races under yellow. I'd be happy to win here in that situation if that's what it would be. But it's definitely a little more special to win under green. Joseph, I'd said this earlier, and I'm 
it's probably overly Freudian of me, but I'm curious your thought on this or if you've stopped to think of in this term. When you were a young guy in the series, a rookie, I remember when you started in the front row in Long Beach and they had you doing videos, going around interviewing people, and you literally, Joseph Newgarden was the guy that IndyCar knew, IndyCar radio knew, television knew, that if you needed a soundbite, if you needed a, a, a quip, if you needed any accommodation, Joseph Newgarden was the guy that was going to do it. You were always accommodating. You were always gregarious. You told me that you were an introvert, which I found fascinating. But I think that you were always, and I, I always respected this, but I think it was really important to you to deliver to as many people as you could and do what was asked of you. And then I think your career really came to form when you finally decided that you had to focus actually on what Joseph Newgarden needed as opposed to what everyone else did, which was perfectly within your right. And I think that that's when everything came together for you and you finally got your white whale at Indy. Am I overthinking it or do you think there's some truth to that? No, it's probably, you know, um, it's very nice of you, Jake. You know, you've, you've been so kind to me as, as many have in, in our sport. Um, but that's probably true to some degree. You know, I, I tried to go over the top more often than not to, to do everything possible. You know, I, I felt the pressure early in my career. I mean, I don't know how you can't, you know, that, that, I mean, I wasn't, I was not here on some check, you know, it was, it was, I got an opportunity to, you know, drive Indy cars when I was 20 years old and, and, um, you know, you either keep getting that opportunity and you stick around or you don't and you get fired and, you know, that, that's that's the end of the career. So I just wanted to do everything I could to, to you know, to stay here and to, to keep getting an opportunity. And, you know, there's a point where that shifts and you, you build some confidence and I think you build some credit up and, you know, people want to give you that chance more and more. Um, but it's, it's hard. You know, I, I am an introvert and to – you know, to try and, and please everybody is very difficult. And even in our sport, it's difficult in any sport, and I think any facet of life, but it's very difficult in motorsports with all the demands, and, you know, the, the the fans, the partners, everything that we have. And I tried to do that, but there was a shift where I, I, I had to, I just had to pull back from it. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to please everybody and not everybody's going to like me. And that's, that's okay. You know, we just got to kind of focus on the career side of it and, and you know, what I really want to achieve because it's, it is so important to me. I love racing more than anything. I'm, I'm very, very competitive. So there was a shift, but I, I still try and do as much as I can. You know, it's just, it got to a point where you're, you're just not going to please everybody. Joseph, last one from me. Um, how was the party last night? Uh, it was good. You know, it was great to be with the team. Tim Sindrick, our president, um, definitely sorted out a great time which was awesome he's you know he's he's a hoosier he he knows all about this race he's been growing up here as a kid and so um it was cool to win one with him you know i i just was like you know you start to it starts to wane on wane a little bit after being here for i guess what i don't even know what this is it's either my seventh or eighth year at penske and you know it's not i i started looking at my bosses with you know, feeling like I was a disappointment that we hadn't won it together. And so, you know, for Tim to, you know, be there last night and the whole team, it just, it really, it was really special. It was just special to be a part of it. And it's, you know, it's not easy as you guys know. And I just, it, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was just fun to, to have that moment with everybody that really made it happen. It is a team sport, no doubt. I mean, look, it's not just about driving the car well. 
everything's got to go perfectly. You got to have just a rock star crew around you, and, and they're the ones that get it here um, to race day, and, and they're the ones that that really push over the line. So it was just it it was special to have that camaraderie last night. You know, it's it's like a feeling in a club that you know we were all in together that. You just you don't you don't realize until you actually do it. All told, in the record books, Joseph, it will go down as a win that took two hours, fifty eight minutes, and twenty one seconds. That is more or less than the amount of sleep you got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a close. That's a close over under. I think, uh, <laughs> I think it's slightly more. Unfortunately, not good. Well, I'll tell you what, it was well deserved. <laughs> it was well deserved, and milk does a body good when you got to replenish uh, sometime tomorrow. But congratulations. I, I, I speak, Joseph, for a lot of people that have seen it from the beginning of your career um, just to see the overall joy and the release, the relief, if you will, for you. It was well deserved, and it's not my job to root for people but i was happy for you because i know what it meant so congratulations and enjoy all that comes with it well thank you guys thanks for all the amazing coverage as well you know just an awesome month so looking forward to the next one I believe last night the victory banquet alexander rossi said a lot of fireball was consumed at said party on sunday night i thought joseph newgarden sounded pretty good with us though jake for he did early you know i actually talked yesterday morning. um David, Ho- excuse me, David Hovis, who's a great dude and does PR for New Garden, told me, uh, and I was flattered by this. Hovis didn't realize it was us, but he, when I was talking to David, he goes, "Yeah, you know, his day started with the obligations at eight fifteen this morning." And I said, "Well, that was probably our radio interview." Mm-hmm. And I said, "He was really good." And Hovis said, "Well, that's probably why, because you guys got him first, right?" And then just naturally i mean nothing sure. against new garden you just, as you go on it's the same thing over and over and over um so that probably was part of it we he got to start his day with Boy, us kevin how about that downhill <laughs> from here who, who would love that right just won the 500 gone with these two knuckles. that's right exactly uh if you missed yesterday's show the new garden interview uh tim sendrick president of team penske and doug bowles all on yesterday bob kravitz at nine santino ferrucci at 9 30 today eight o'clock hour coming up next here kevin Acquire. All right, 8 o'clock hour here. Good Tuesday morning to you. I know a bit of a dose of reality for a lot of people. Heading back to work here. Weather looks great all week long. A little steamier, though, in Indy. Um, You know, I feel like, Jake, it's kind of our... I don't want to act like we're some Mayan Heidi. uh, This is our duty, but I do feel like with the amount of 500 attention we give here over the last couple of weeks, in particular our show, and a large portion thanks to you... It's good to kind of put a bow on things here in the, you know, a couple of shows right after the race occurs. And I know our audience just wasn't as typical as it normally is um, with Memorial Day from yesterday. So a popular topic that we discussed yesterday on the show was how the race ended and the red flag situation, the multiple red flags. But in particular, the final one that led to a one lap green white a flag, and obviously Joseph Newgarden passes Marcus Erickson on the outside down the backstretch, and, and he's the winner and, and held off Erickson the rest of the way. Certainly Tim Sendrick, who we had on yesterday, the Team Penske president, is going to be biased, but I thought he brought up an interesting point about the reason why we got that final red flag. And for those that don't recall, it was right off of a restart, a very chaotic restart, in Marcus Erickson passing Joseph Newgarden 
behind him, basically right at the time the leaders were crossing the yard of bricks for the restart, you had a crash The crash that involved, I think it was Benjamin Peterson, I think Ed Carpenter was involved, there were a couple of other cars, and basically, for you to have properly settled or explained, hey, who was first at that restart? Okay, who's in third now? Who's in seventh? You would have had to gone to like several minutes of video review. And you know how awkward that would have been? Yeah. All of a sudden, come over the loudspeaker, and here's Dave Calabro and Alan Beswick being like, oh, yeah, um, okay, so after further review, <laughs> yeah. this guy finished second, this guy finished fifth, this guy was ninth. It would have just been one of the more awkward announcements of this is how the race is ending. And I don't know if that's necessarily like letter of the law, the the, the, the best way to, you know, state how the race ended, Jake, but I just think whether it's right or wrong, whether it's in the rule book or not, we deserved a better finish than ample video review. And I think that's what we would have gotten had there not been one more red flag thrown. I, I think... And I totally understand that a lot of people listening may not be nuanced like race fans, right? So they may not understand even what red flag, yellow flag, I I get all that. A red flag means, obviously, as we saw, a stoppage of the race with no changes being made to the cars and no positions changing until you restart them back up and you go green and you run the race again. I think it's... The race is 500 miles, period. And I will commend them for sticking to that. You know, they didn't do, okay, we're going to do five extra laps here just so that we have a shootout. No, it's 500 miles. It's 200 laps. But I feel like perhaps there should be, because the one lap shootout, one lap is tough. Because whoever's running in first, it, there is when you are coming to a flying start, there's an aerodynamic advantage to the person that's running right behind. They're, they're going to make that pass nine times out of ten. So if you're sitting in first. Kind of a sitting it, duck. You're a sitting duck. And that one lap shootout, it, it is pretty dramatic, but it's also – I hate to say it seems unfair because it's there are a million factors that go into it. I do feel like perhaps there should be a rule that says the race can't be red flagged in the last, let's say, three laps. So if someone hits the wall on lap one, although then the other side of that, Kevin, is it is very anticlimactic to see the race finish under yellow. Dario Franchitti won three races here, though. He's never won one under green. It was under yellow every time. Tony Kanaan won under yellow. It it didn't happen for a long time. Then it happened in 88, happened again the next year. But I I do feel like perhaps there is something there that they could look into. But at the same time... Should it matter how the yellow occurs or how... Like, for example... Last year in front of you, Jake, Sage Karam crashes on what? the fi- That was the final lap, right? When Sage Karam crashed and Marcus Erickson was in the lead. Correct. So at that point, Sage Karam was what? 20th place? I don't know. He was he was way behind. And it was crystal clear that Marcus Erickson was in front of Pato Award yes. at that moment. Correct. Whereas the yellow from Sunday that caused the final red flag, or I should say the crash that caused the final red flag, that was beyond chaotic. 
you had you half the correct. cars that hadn't even reached the the, the start finish line. You know, did Newgarden get past in time? I mean, Newgarden was I think fourth when they got to pit lane, and then they had to move his car up to second. They had to reorder Newgarden yeah. from from where he initially was. So. I guess what I'm getting at is like, does the type of crash or where the crash occurs, should that influence the throwing of the red flag or not? The the thing about the red flag, Kevin, that, and it's a great point you make rhetorically. The other thing that's a challenge with the red flag is it's kind of tough now to put that toothpaste back in the tube, right? Yeah, it's great. It's a great point. I mean, they've, the red flag was something that we never saw really. I mean, there, it, it happened, like especially in rain situations, but um, it was very rare that we saw the red flag. Now you've seen it twice in, what, three years or something like that? Um, or was it last year? I, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, last year. Yeah, you, yeah, you had it? the red flag with three, right? Okay, they did that's three laps. Yeah, yeah. So for a, for a series that, and I don't mean the series itself, but a fan base of the series that has always kind of mocked NASCAR for the – quote-unquote contrived finishes they become pretty reliant on that red flag and i get it it's to finish under green i i I totally understand that you know i have always wondered to go back when dan weldon won his second race in 2011 jr hildebrand was leading when hildebrand hit the wall but hildebrand hit the wall and continued driving i have always said somewhat rhetorically Theoretically, should Hildebrand have won the race because he was continuing to move and the caution came out? So doesn't the position on the track freeze at that moment? And if he's continuing to drive and he crosses the line, shouldn't he have crossed under caution? Now, they threw the caution once Weldon had passed Hildebrand. Then they threw the caution. Hmm. But it's subjective as to because Hildebrand was out of the driver's line. When he hit the wall, he was up high out of the groove. So they didn't throw the caution yet until his car started to drift down. Then they threw the caution. But there are a million angles to look at it, and I see both sides of it. I'm not trying by any stretch to straddle the fence here I, because I do think that saying we're not going to do a red flag within, say, the last three laps would be a compromise. But then I think about the fact of it is anticlimactic. I mean, you're anticipating that, like last year, quite frankly. Last year, as Erickson's coming by me and – Pato's behind him, and I'm thinking like, okay, like we're gonna have possibly a last lap shootout or a last turn shootout to Denary, and I'm getting ready to throw it to Chris to set him up for the possibility of a ward trying to reel in Erickson, and then I see in the corner of my eye this big cloud of smoke, and I see the lights flashing, and I go, oh my gosh, there's a there's a caution in two, and Kevin, all the energy you have built up for this great finish, and you're like, and a caution, yeah, and that was just a half lap. Correct. Imagine again having to have well, I, video review to decide exactly not only who won, but then who was the order behind. I mean, like it was not a given. I think when that yellow came out, or at least to me in the stands, that like had, did Erickson pass Newgarden in time? I really thought, Kevin. I really thought when Pato hit the wall with like five or six left. You're talking about in front of you this year. Correct. I thought at that point it was over. Because I thought, well, he's hit the, the safer barrier. Pagano and Canapino got collected yeah. behind Three him. Three cars total, yeah. Like, it's going to take six laps to clean this up, and Newgarden has won the race. And they red flagged it. And that's cool. And then that melee happens, and they red flag it again. You know what I mean? And then 
<clears throat> there were a lot of factors that went into it there towards the end. And so in the end, the guy that I thought was going would have won it in the old system ended up winning it anyway. But it was it made for a dramatic finish. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it almost, added to New Garden's celebration too, because if he won under caution and he still won the crowd, the crowd would be like, "Yeah." But I think the fact that he won under green and you got that electric like yeah, just the, reaction, the, the roaring, the the roar of the car underneath the checkered flag is pretty dramatic, right? When you're without, at full speed, without a doubt. I mean, his celebration matched the climax of that final lap, without a doubt. I, I also think, in a way, Jake, and maybe this is more of a modern, and by modern, I'd say let's just go back to the last decade. I think a modern day Indy 500 has turned into this. For 450, 470 miles, your job is to get yourself in the top five or top six. And then you know once lap 185 or 190 comes around, it is checkers or wreckers, to steal a phrase Checkers or wreckers, I love it. What Tim Sendrick said yesterday to us of fear is just thrown out the window. And whether it was Felix Rosenquist, whether it was Pato Award, you put yourself in a position with 10 to 15 laps to go, and then you're going to have some chaos. You're going to have some restarts that are going to lead to great drama. And again, there is going to be chaos, but your job for the first 175, 180 laps is to give yourself a chance. And guys like you know Alex Pillow, guys like Scott Dixon, guys like Renus VK, for different reasons, over the course of those first 170, 180 laps, they just didn't get they were removed from the mix. They tried to get back in the mix. They couldn't get all the way there. But guys like Erickson, Newgarden, 930 today. Santino Ferrucci is going to join us. They were able to put themselves into that position. It also, so you you basically have created to where luck falls in your favor. You've also created your own luck because you have sustained it for the first 80, 90% of the race. So now you can benefit when the stuff happens like we saw on Sunday. You know, the other thing that's interesting is if you were leading the race, if, if the three of us are racing and there are three laps to go, in the I hate to say the old days, in the system under finishing under caution, you want to be in front in case something happens. You want to be in the front of the field in case something happens because then, oh my gosh, you know, like like Kanan was when he won it and Dario hit the wall and it's like, holy cow, Kanan's going to, you know, he's got to, he's under caution now, he's got to win the race. Now you wonder if if drivers aren't like, I'm not going to take the lead until the last lap because if a red, I don't want to be in the lead if we red flag it. I want to be in second or third and and get the aerodynamics. So like I'm not going to make a pass here. Yeah, that's a dangerous game though. I know, yeah, I know. New Garden, that's part of the fun of it, right? I, New Garden did it, Jake, but Pato Ward didn't do it last year. Pato Ward didn't get it done. Yeah, Marcus Erickson right. was able to save him right. for the final three laps. So that that's something to keep in mind. Uh, Dave wants to chime in. Nick, we'll get to you as well. Dave, what's up? Yeah, I was wondering uh, what's your opinion on maybe uh, IndyCar. Adopting uh, two NASCAR rules: a green-white checker and a free pass. Uh, it's 500 miles. That, that's the thing, Dave. The, the the danger in that is if it's on lap 499 and you go, okay, we're going to go green-white checkers now. And in NASCAR, th- the problem I have with the NASCAR rule of the green-white checker is then everybody goes bonkers and you end up doing it like seven times, right? What's the free pass? Yeah, that's what uh, I think. Uh, like in Ray Hall's case, you get down two laps. Before the race even starts, you're pretty much done. Right. The free pass is what if you're the last. What is it? I always forget. <coughs> Excuse me, Dave. If, if, there's, if there's a caution and you're the, the first car behind it, a lap down, then you get to go around. You, yeah, you get the, the drive around. Got it. The lucky dog, I think, is what they called it when they first did it. Um, 
again, I I, I like I, to have I, the. I don't in- know if I like that. Yeah, I like the integrity of it is 500 miles. Uh, period. You know what I mean? I mean, Villeneuve, Jacques Villeneuve. A lot of people forget Jacques Villeneuve gets credit for winning a 505 mile race because he got he got a lap down and then he got penalized a lap, but he actually he didn't make up two laps he had to make up one because of the fact that there were other penalties and then he served a penalty when a caution came out so it, it kind of balanced that it's kind of hard to explain and, and nothing against graham but jake you know and i guess nothing against steph wilson that's probably what i have to go back to a week ago monday but you're in a backup car that's two years old that had a go-kart motor in it at one point last week for a reason there's going to be some uncertainty, right? You know, with with that, and I think that's to your point. That's part of the integrity of the 500. Uh, Nick, what's happening, hey, Nick? Happy morning. Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Good morning. How are you? I am wonderful. I had a great weekend. Did you go to the race? Did go to the race. Yes. Now it says here you won a, your driver's pool. Our oh yeah, you, Nick, you are our Nick, winner, right? I had uh, I had Joseph. So here is my question for you, Nick, and we're going to get your information from Mark offline. Jeez, okay, lobster for a year, Nick. With here, both gift here cards. is my question, Nick, we, and you are we're, we're not we don't even know your last name, at least publicly. So no shame here in your answer, but we're going to give you a scruples test, and there is no wrong answer here, Nick. There is no wrong answer. Okay. <laughs> All right. There were three ways that you could win the Kevin and Quarry Educate and Entertain Drivers Pool of 2023. The first, of course, would be that you draw the winner. Nick, you drew exactly that. The second would be that you drew the first out. That was Catherine Legg. You did not have Catherine Legg. You had Joseph Newgarden. The third way to win would be to select the driver or get the driver that moved the greatest number of positions throughout the course of the race. That also was Joseph Newgarden. So the question that we have here, Nick, in this fairly unprecedented moment in the Kevin and Quarry Educate and Entertain Driver Pool of 2023 is, does that mean that you, Nick, should win two gift cards? Does that mean that you won two prize or two positions and so therefore they just morph into one gift card? Or does it mean that we... Ask Nick how philanthropic and scrupulous oh, he is by, really the by allowing here. the runner-up to now get a card as well at the cost of uh, you. If, if I get a invite to the PBR party, you can pass it along to the runner-up. Nick, I don't Hell know if you yeah, noticed Nick. this or not. The, the PBR party appears to be under a yellow flag. We're not sure whether or not it's red. <laughs> I was going to say, Jake, yellow? We're, we, sure we're waiting. That? We're begging for <laughs> it to go green. generous. We, we have been begging for the PBR party to go green for a while, Nick. But rest assured, here's the thing. You will absolutely be welcomed to the PBR He's party. VIP. VIP. You will even be introduced and celebrated at the PBR party. We will not pour PBR over your head, though. Okay. Do we lift him up in a chair? I'm like, <laughs> Nick, why did you pick number 33? That was the New Garden number in our in our pool. Uh, I had to quickly write down however many numbers were left, and I, I, I kind of just said I was just like 33. If 33 is there, it's last. I'm a I'm a Graham fan as well, so kind of was pulling for him okay. to have a good day, and just kind of just went for it. I love it, Nick. Mark will take your info offline. Congrats, man. So wait, did All Nick right, decide that, are, are you pawning the second gift card off, Nick, or are you taking both? You are more than welcome to do either. No, no, no. Well, well you can give it to the uh, runner-up, and I'll take the, the first place. All right, there now, we go. We like we like Nick's I, integrity I, there. I do think you kind of backed him into a corner there where he really had 
no choice or else we don't know like Nick's last absolute. name. That could be Nick you Smith. Know. That could be Nick Harmon. Now, that could be, he, I know a lot of Nicks. Are you going runner up or are you going the second place of the biggest mover? Because New Garden captured both. New Garden was the winner, and right. he also was the biggest mover. So should the gift card now go to the second place Marcus Erickson or Callum Eilat, who is the second biggest mover? You know, we should allow Nick to make that do you, determination. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? There? Yeah. Put Nick back on the air, Mark. Nick's getting <laughs> Nick's information. Nick's we'll let social security we let, number two. We're going to let here. Nick decide this incredibly important detail that Kevin has come up with. Mark, put him back on the air. Hold on a second. <laughs> Nick, are hey, you there? Hey, Nick, you didn't realize that by winning, you now have become the judge and jury Good of this Lord. game. Nick's like, I got an 830 <laughs> meeting to get to. You guys just let me go here. Nick, do you believe that the card that you have so graciously and generously allowed to be surrendered, should that go to the runner-up or should it go to the person who has the driver that had the second highest move of the race? I guess the... I'd go runner-up. Okay. Interesting. All right. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. That's a big clarification from Nick. Okay, so we have Casey that has Catherine Legg. So Casey needs to contact Mark here to get his gift card. And the final gift card, thanks to Nick deviating a little bit there, it will not go to the Callum Eilat driver. It will go to Eric, who had Marcus Erickson. Well, that's only fitting. Can you imagine if his dad's name was Eric, too? That. He'd Eric be Mark. Eric's son. How about that? Eric, shout out. Casey, shout out. You guys give Mark a call, and we'll hand those out. All right, Bob Kravitz coming up at 9, Santino Ferrucci at 9.30. Um, let's hit a morning check down and begin with uh, quite the Game 7 last night for different reasons. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Bottom line is, when it comes to a Game 7, listen to Jimmy Butler and not Jake Query. Because Jimmy Butler had said, you know what, I think we're going to win. We can win, we're going to get it done, and that's exactly what happened. Jimmy Butler with 28, Caleb Martin had 26 and 10 boards, and Bam Adebayo added 12 and 10 as the Miami Heat really kind of controlled the entire game, Kevin. They, they got out to a lead, and they did what Miami does. Yeah, ugly first quarter, which is what Miami wants. Yep, and Boston, as Charles Barkley said, had no offense. Jason Tatum did get a little banged up, but you know what? Miami's been banged up all year long. That's why they were an eight seed. That's why, you know, Tyler Hero's not playing. The Miami Heat have advanced to the NBA Finals, winning Game 7, 103-84. Jalen Brown of eight turnovers last night. Tatum, five of 13 from the field. Caleb Martin, once cut by the Charlotte Hornets. As Jake said, 26-10 and 10 for him last night. You know, when you watch that first quarter and you watch the game, I just found myself saying, oh yeah, this is why the Celtics were down 3-0. This is why the Celtics were almost knocked out in the previous series and had to pull kind of a rabbit out of Game 6 and Game 7 there. Uh, 103-84, Game 1 of the NBA Finals coming up on Thursday. Denver is a big favorite in that one. Um, I just sit here and think to myself, should we bet against the Heat? You ain't lying, man. But then I'm like, wait, is Cody Zeller getting minutes against Nikola Jokic? I don't feel like that's a good thing. I mean, if you're a Heat fan, I feel like this could be a short finals, and I like the Miami Heat, but I feel like. Do we still do 2 3 2? Do we do 2 1 1 or 2 2 1 1? 
I think I, they've one. changed it so many times. I, yeah, can't, I think it's I two, two, really one, 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 one. Starts in Denver. I'll go uh, Nuggets and uh, Nuggets and six. You know the series doesn't start till the road team wins. <laughs> Plus four thirty if you think it's going to be a sweep. Just saying. Two, two, one, one, one. That is the format for this year. Again, Thursday night things open up. That is an eight thirty tip. Coming up here for Game 1 of the Finals. Uh, last night, the Coca-Cola 600, which was rained out on Sunday, was run in Charlotte. The winner, Ryan Blaney, which means that Roger Penske has swept the Indianapolis 500 and the Coca-Cola 600. William Byron, Martin Truex Jr. rounding out the top three. The, the top three, Bubba Wallace and Tyler Reddick, fourth and fifth. Uh, Mark Dykton, give me a number one through 37. 18. Number 18, you have won a lifetime supply. Congratulations of Harrison Burton's uh, Dex Imaging. Okay. What? I don't know what that is, but okay. Okay. that's going to help you out, Mark. <laughs> Kevin, give me a number one through 37. Uh, let's Kevin. go seven. Number seven for Kevin Bowen. Congratulations with Ricky Stenhouse. You have won. Oh, you get two here. The Kroger Coca-Cola Chevrolet. Do you want a lifetime supply of Kroger or Coca-Cola? Oh, hell yeah, Kroger. Yeah, Kroger. And then you I have a lifetime supply of Kroger, Kroger than I'm the good as a Coke. everything. Let's go Krogering. Okay, uh, give me a number, Kroger Mark. after the show today. You know, I'm trying you need to get a, a job there now. Now that the race is over... My, and school's done. I thought you were doing this last year. The plain field one, did that not work out? No, I school got in the way. And well, being, so, a, being a graduate of the class of 2023, you can get number 23. Okay, thank you. Uh, number 23 here, uh, Daniel Suarez. Oh, how about this jockey? Well. You guys want any boxers? Nope. I'll hook you up. <laughs> that is an image I don't want. <laughs> you want t-shirts? <laughs> Quickly moving on from it's that. Not get out the, of this. It's Let's not for the loop. It's Jackie. No, Come thank on. you. The Indianapolis Indians won last night. I'm a boxer night. brief there. guy, Mark, if you really want to know. I don't want to know that. I didn't care to know <laughs> just, that. I didn't I'm need to know that. I'm keeping it brief in my explanation. Indians are at home now for the next two weeks, so plenty of chances to go out to Victory Field and catch them. You'll probably see Mark there as well. And hey, Mark, how up? about Marcus Stroman? You guys want one of these kids? <laughs> a one-hitter yesterday. Got four hits in the whole game. Yeah. He didn't how give quick up. was that game? It's pretty. It was pretty quick. He had, I think he was seven innings through, and he had like 68 pitches. Did you get a beer bat? Oh, no, I should have. I wanted to. Nine innings, eight Ks for Stroman. He didn't have time. All of an effort. Well, I had to drive. I didn't want to. I didn't realize this. Jockey makes a form-fit, lightweight thong for men. <laughs> I think I saw a few of those in the infield on Sunday. There's a one-piece. I, I can get you one, Mark. A blue, breathable, low-waist G-string. Hey, Ashley, Jake gifted me jockey. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I got a lifetime me. supply. You know, when you go to the Motor Speedway for the... Indianapolis 500, you see some outfits where it's like, do people look in the mirror in the mornings? Oh, that was the first thing I saw. My Ashley's like, how many boobs did you see? I was like, well, I saw two because one guy walked out of the trough with just a thong on. Do you know oh. one thing that I'm, I'm happy that I was happy with this year? And I wasn't down like in the snake pit per se, but I mean, I had to walk from the pagoda out to, or you know, the main stretch out to turn three. So I was, I mean, I had to go through the crowd. It seems like the phase is over with of, and I'm not trying to be old guy yelling at clouds here, but somehow or another, we went through this like five-year phase where the Indianapolis 500, like there was like a mockery of patriotism was like the invoke thing. Like I'm going to wear as much like America stuff as possible and everything's red, white, and blue and like make fun, like with big cowboy hats that say USA on it. And it was like, it, it literally was kind of a mockery of patriotism. I don't know how to word it. Do you guys know what I'm, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, I didn't mean. And it, it seems like that phase has kind of gone away. Like, like the Joe Dirt thing has kind of gone away now and people are just back to being yeah, normal. I don't know if joke. you're looking hard enough. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is you didn't have to look hard at all at one time. 
3.6 million. I started drinking at 6 a.m. <laughs> we're here now. I don't know what time it is, but I'm rolling deep. And those cars are going real fast and real left, son. They're going fast and left. Yeah. <laughs> is that what you're talking about, Jake? Like I said, I don't think you looked hard enough. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, 3.6 million. He takes home from the victory banquet last night. Marcus Erickson, one point. I think it was like 04 million. Boy, that's uh, that's quite the difference. When you think about how close those two were at the yard of bricks. We'll you have see, you see the lady Ferrucci wearing the ankle. You see the lady wearing the ankle bracelet third. in the pit. Uh, no, I, I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, you I weren't know. looking hard enough. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, you mean like a tennis bracelet? No, like an ankle bracelet, like, like a monitor. Like you need to be. Paroled. I'm going to guess there was probably a few of those inside of the facility <laughs> on Sunday. Well, here's the thing: like, can you, if you're wearing one of those, how how easy can they find you? Like, how pinpointed is it's it? Probably the like, best place to go. Right? They're like, wait a minute, this person's at 16th in Georgetown. That's all we know. Well, there's 335,000 to pick from, right? Mm-hmm. Oh no, they're going in the EDM concert now. We're really lost them. <laughs> Hey, you got, you got bigger problems to worry about than, you know, little, you know, Susie, whatever, on that end of it. Uh, all right, Bob Kravitz, <laughs> 9 o'clock, Santino Ferrucci at 9.30. Kevin Aquari here on a very steamy Tuesday in Indy. Shout out to Jonathan here. He goes, Kevin, you need to check out at Indy 500 Picks on Twitter. That is P-I-C-S. Oh, it's great. Has it up, been updated this year? Just tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Some not safe for work images in there. But outstanding. Well, have they put any up from this year? Uh, I mean, yeah, twenty-two hours ago, twenty hours ago, okay, nineteen good. hours ago. Yeah, I, I mean, did see one guy below me who he had his like a long sleeve T-shirt on, but or not like a dress shirt, and it was unbuttoned, so you could see. You know, his, his entire chest was like multiple tattoos. Which, but he had, and this was impressive: uh, eight beers. It cradled in his arm and one in the right. So he was nine-fisting nine it, basically. You should have twins. He could be able to kind of hold both babies at <laughs> I mean, one time. There. At one point... That's impressive. There was a, a woman down below where we were sitting that um, was a little over-served. And that seems rare. Went, she, she went for a nap for a while and Michael, the Australian, who was like, I've never seen people drink like this. And those guys partied, man. The Australians were so much fun. But they were like, man, like people get after it here. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I've been watching this woman down here, and it's been a difficult last 20 laps, I believe was his wording. Mark, I just sent you, uh, because I, I have won my free lifetime supply of jockey, uh-huh. I just I just sent you a link of something that I could pick up for you if you'd like. So let me know what you think of that. Um I mean, who doesn't love jockey uh, products, right? Well, They've got them at the outlets down there in Edinburgh. At least they have evidence for HR for later. <laughs> Jake won't stop sending me this. I'm very uncomfortable. No, that, I, I just, I'm trying to help out. You said you wanted a pair of thongs. I don't think I ever said that. Yeah, Jake, I Kevin, know, did Mark, I say that? Did those no, words come out of my mouth? ever utter that phrase. Okay. Um, Jake, I really need you to help me with my underwear. No, I've never said that. Now, you guys, no, no congratulations for the Notre Dame lacrosse national title yesterday? Do you guys enjoy watching lacrosse at all? I don't know that you you know my buddy lives in Denver and they have a professional lacrosse team that he goes and like watches them. And I think the crowd like, was I, huge yeah, yesterday I, I think at get, Lincoln Financial Field for it. Notre yeah. Dame and Duke. I don't know I, Can you explain lacrosse to me? 
I mean, it's probably – is it one of those sports that's more simple than you think? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty, like – I think it's pretty, like, clear to watch and be like, I have a general understanding. I mean, sure, there it's, are moments in the game where, like, wait, why did why did that guy stop short of that white line and not go into the attacking zone? Or, you know, do the defenders have to stay on one side of the field? Um, obviously, there's, like, some substitutions within the game that I'm like, oh, wow, that guy's just running off the field. And, you know, why is that a penalty versus not? But – the general like ball stick pass try to beat the goalie and score is pretty easy just for anybody to watch. Right. So and it's so, basically like almost like hockey, but obviously with passing through the air as opposed to on the ground, right? Yeah. And then there's you can you can go behind the net though, right? Just like right. in Remember there were two And what they do I think a nice job of from an offensive standpoint. So let's say I'm Notre Dame on offense, you're Duke on defense, and I'm shooting at your goal. If I miss the goal and it goes out of bounds, the closest player to the ball that goes out of bounds gets possession. So you're going to miss more goals than obviously you're going to miss more shot attempts than you're going to make. But as long as the offensive player has a teammate that is closest to where that ball is going out of bounds, you maintain possession. You know, I, I, so it keeps the offensive flow going. And I mean, there's yesterday I think the final was like 13 9, 13 10, something like that. I mean, 23 goals in four quarters. It's it's got great pace to it, and I will not be disappointed. If like, because I have a feeling it's trending in this direction, like probably one of my kids will play lacrosse. Well, that's what I was gonna. So let me ask you. Although it is expensive, I hear it's it is a popular sport in the Northeast and always has been. Probably the greatest hockey player, or excuse me, lacrosse player of all time is Jim Brown, who just passed away. At least that was always at the time that he was playing. That was always the reputation is that he was the greatest lacrosse player. Um, I have friends who's kids play it actually collegiately and it seems to be really increasing especially amongst the private schools here in the area but is that because kevin people are trying to wean their kids off of football or is it because so many kids play soccer and it's kind of a variation of that as well but they're trying something new and different and liking it because it kind of is a morph of the two well, I mean, from a high school standpoint, the spring sports season, I mean, baseball is probably your biggest competitor to that. So I think, you know, baseball for a younger generation, I mean, certainly we all played it growing up, but I don't think it's necessarily the most popular sport anymore. And so I think this is kind of the alternative in that season, you know, obviously football in the fall, basketball in the winter. So I think, and if you're playing soccer in the fall, obviously you have this in the spring. So I just think it's more of an alternative from baseball, which, you know, certainly is still popular, but I think, yeah, I mean, early on it was, I think more of the private schools, but I think you're seeing a good amount of public schools have lacrosse teams now. And, and I what, think you what makes it expensive? I think the equipment is, and I think I mean, you mainly it's the equipment, but don't you just wear, I mean, you have a stick, right? I mean, pads, pads, but they're just shoulder helmets. pads, right? Yeah, I mean helmets. I mean that it gets to be a little pricey. I mean, that, it's different than baseball. Uh, the helmets are like by, they're like eighteen bucks on Amazon, right? Uh, I can't say I've looked up lacrosse helmets. <laughs> let's, let's see, Mark. We can look up the price of lacrosse. You know why we would look up the price of lacrosse we helmets? Educate and entertain. <laughs> and apparently, make our coworkers uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I, I how? <laughs> no comment there. Yeah, from Mark. I mean, uh, think about baseball. What do you need baseball wise? You need a bat and you need a glove. 
Unless you're yeah, playing catcher. Yeah, but kids these days, I mean, my, my nephew has a bag. I'm like, Jesus, that you know, costs more you, than like a family vacation. Right, just, but I'm saying if you play lacrosse, you need, oh, everybody yeah. needs pads. Yeah. Everybody needs a helmet. Right. Um, and everyone needs a stick. I mean, obviously, you need a bat. Oh, and, yeah, helmet's about 175 bucks. Yeah, that seems to be like median price now i would think the difference between like hockey and how much hockey costs no, versus hockey. hockey's insane yeah. lacrosse you know what the big thing with hockey is a lot of times is ice time yeah with lacrosse you can just play on your team's i would think you just play on your team's football field or soccer field let me ask you this we were talking about the jockey and the thong we weren't talking about it. well you you're the one that picked it for me i do you ever say because this is correct right you say like hey i i've got to go buy a pair of boxers right i gotta go buy, buy a pair of why do you say pair? It's just, it's just like one. pair of jeans. Like pair. I'll be yeah. totally honest. I just hope someone gives them to me for Christmas, and that's about it. Yeah. I can't you tell know, last time. You I know, purchased. in the in the Query family, Kevin. Just so you know, uh, if you get any gifts from the family pets, always the unmentionables. No, oh, is that what Boo's going to be purchasing? <laughs> that's correct. My, the, you get a thing from either Tomcat Query or you know the dogs or whatever it might be, and then if you open it, it's always either socks or the unmentionables. Always, the, the, the animals are very keen on that. Mark, you you brought this up yesterday. I thought this is a, is it because it's two legs? Is that why a pair? I think so. Okay, but this is an interesting point they made last night at the victory banquet. Kyle Kirkwood on his crash, upside down on mm-hmm. the crash. Yeah. Um, he said that it was an 80G impact when he crashed. Steph Wilson mentioned last night. Again, Steph Wilson broke. Was it just one vertebrae, Jake? I mean, I mean, hell, one one vertebrae is enough. Uh, his impact was 60G. So, Mark, to your point yesterday that Kyle Kirkwood, as he's upside down, flips the visor up to let those know that he is okay, and his impact was 20G higher than the dude that broke his back. I mean, I can't even imagine that being the first thought that pops in my head while that's happening, where I'm like, I need to flip my visor up real quick. And then to think about it, the ADG impact, Kyle Kirkwood said, like, yeah, for like 20 minutes, my knees were a little sore. And then after that, I was fine. I know it's a popular thing that is said with Indy cars right now, but the safety of it. Unreal, and, and, yeah. and of course, you know, how you hit the wall and just the impact, it can differ big time. Steph Wilson breaks his back at 60 Gs. Kyle yeah, Kirkwood walks away at it's 80 It's a matter Gs. of where the Gs are landing quite frankly you know where it's dispersed right yeah and it was a great i mean it was a great camera shot the other really good photo i tweeted it out yesterday mark feel free to look at my twitter account and retweet it did you guys see the photo of the tire through the air and the crowd in the background kyle kirkwood's tire mm-hmm. flying through turn two um i think it was somebody from the indianapolis star I uh, took this shot it is an unbelievable picture of the tire in the air and then you have hundreds of faces in the background in their reaction of the tire flying you know in front of them and fortunately landing were, in the were, parking lot were any of them ducking i mean and i'm not saying that to be funny there was one and mark if you um there's a lot of mouths open and fingers pointing like, there was oh my God, one that, that i saw where like it looked like a father kind of holding like his son i'm actually looking at this photo yeah i'm looking to see it too right now oh i see Do you yeah. see that he's pulling him away yeah. the kid in the red shirt uh-huh. i mean he looks like he's you know an elementary aged son where, and the where dad, are you looking at the photo i just retweeted the photo that kevin posted okay um, and this dad is, you know, kind of like, hey, almost like a hiding him or look like he's in the in the uh, midst of kind of trying to sh- shield him from that tire. It is an outstanding photo. And at the same time, 
obviously you think about how fortunate and lucky that was someone something we talked about with Doug Bowles yesterday that that tire did I wondered about just bounce in the parking lot kind of by the golf course for those trying to picture where exactly this was in between the turn two grandstands and the suites there did hit someone's car uh, Doug Bowles told us it was actually a worker uh, for his wife on race day I wondered about this um, there have been in IMS history I, it's a this is a obviously an awful thing to mention twice there have been fans that were injured fatally by a tire once happened and i believe it was 1938 but it was in the 30s a tire went out on the main straight and went out onto georgetown road where it hit a, a child that was playing in his front yard he was like i think either eight or ten years old and then the other, of course, was the gentleman from Wisconsin in 1987 in turn four when a tire off Tony Bettenhausen's car ricocheted off Roberto Guerrero's nose, the nose of his car, and rattled the, the gearbox of Roberto Guerrero's car, which caused Guerrero's car to stall at the end of the race, which allowed Alonser Sr. to take the lead. That, of course, totally um, inconsequential when you consider that a fan was fatally injured in the crowd. But that was nearly 40 years ago. There have been numerous changes since then from a safety standpoint, including the tethering of the tires. And, and kind of expand more on that, Jake. So you, when you say tethering of the tire, the tire is not supposed to be detached like Well, the that wheel, correct. So the wheel impact. itself, literally when I say tethered, I mean like it's it's cabled to the car. So that when the cars are made, and a lot of people don't realize this, when you see a crash of, a, of an an Indy car, and debris goes everywhere. That's because the 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 cars are designed for the force of energy to expand outward. So the the more debris you see flying, oftentimes the safer that makes it because right. that means the energy is being dispersed outwards because the driver's in the middle. the The tires themselves are basically cable excuse me cable wire for lack of a better phrase in a much stronger sense to the car they are designed to be able to to pop off but not completely break free obviously the tether was was compromised i think the wing of rosenquist's car clipped the tether which is my assumption as to what happened so it was a very fluke probably one in a million thing but because of the fact that the tire did go over the catch fence, it does make me wonder if if they will in, increase the height of the catch fence. I, I don't know because I we now know that that's happened basically once in thirty seven years, right? I mean, but and once safety advances have been made over time to where correct. the tire should not but, even. But once is one time. I mean, it. every single thing that happens in an incident with IndyCar and an accident is examined. And every single one of them. That is different from you know. Remember a few, a few years ago, Jake, when Graham Rahal's tire wasn't properly put on in the pits, it just wheeled off. It right? just wheeled off correct. and hit Connor Daly's nose, and, and that was you know a, a huge part of that race. This is obviously a different incident, but you know the ADGs that Kyle Kirkwood talked about last night, the victory banquet, certainly that impact probably influenced a little bit of you know Felix Rosenquist hitting him boom all of a sudden the tire is into that turn two parking lot all right Bob Kravitz going to join us in 10 Joseph or uh, we had Joseph Newgarden earlier Santino Ferrucci at 9 30 that's what the nine o'clock hour looks like here on Kevin Accord Bob Kravitz going to join us here in a few 
Uh, Santino Ferrucci at 9.30. I think I saw Bob mention that he thought that was the... I probably should double check the phrasing before I say it. I thought he said the maybe the wildest finish he's seen in his over twenty Indy five hundreds. Oh two was pretty wild, and that was Elio and Paul Tracy drama. Yep. Uh, so Bob going to join us here in a few. Um, again, we'll chat with him. <laughs> we'll chat with him about quite a few things. Zach Eady, that decision remains. Um, at least not public here. Um, about 36 hours to go until the deadline for underclassmen to withdraw from the NBA draft and go back to their respective schools, or I guess enter the transfer portal. Did see the Pacers have their second draft workout today. For the most part, it looked like a lot of kind of second round guys in the facility um, for workouts, more of a guard oriented group. So, Pacers, five draft picks coming up. Uh, three weeks from Thursday. So the NBA draft, um, it'll be here before you know. Pretty much right after the finals ends, the NBA draft picks up. You know, I I want to look at, okay, the latest NBA mock draft from ESPN. I, I think that's probably the most reputable, right? And I guess, what, what's the date on these? Because I just yeah, well, I that's feel like the they thing. don't get religiously updated like an so, NFL mock draft. So here's the, the, NF, the NBA on ESPN – their most recent one from May seventeenth. So that's what two weeks ago. But again, so. it seems like in the last two weeks, Zach Eady's done some stuff that that was before the combine, right? Yeah, I mean, no, was it before the combine? I feel like the combine was right. I think the combine was like a week and a half ago. It, it literally, it seems like everyone has Jalen Hutchinson going sixteen. Um, Zach Eady here at forty eight. This was the update from ESPN. This was post-combine about Edie. 7'3", 306 pounds. Edie also conducted what many consider to be the most interesting pro day of any prospect in Chicago, showing better-than-expected mobility, coordination, and skill running the floor, finishing around the basket, and making jumpers from mid-range and beyond the arc. He brought a huge amount of energy and appears to be in outstanding shape. Several NBA executives said they were impressed with the way he presented himself and now view him in a slightly different light after seeing him in that setting. I mean, that first-rounder is what he's got to be, apparently. So 11.59 p.m., May 31st. That is the deadline. Of course, today is May 30th. I had someone message me a little bit earlier, Jake, and said that $1.3 million? That's the Purdue offer from an NIL standpoint. That would be again. If you're a first rounder, you got to go with the first rounder. If you're a second rounder, you go to Purdue, right? I mean, it's pretty pretty much as simple as that. And the appeal to go back is, I don't think, like necessarily showcasing more NBA stuff. It would be sour taste from how last season ended, of course, and then individually try to be. You know, one of the greatest, without question, um, record book guy at Purdue from a points and a rebound standpoint. All right, Bob Kravitz next, Santino Ferrucci at 930. Nine o'clock hour here on Kevin and Query. Again, Bob Kravitz joining us right now from the Payless Liquors hotline. Bob, I, I was trying to... Remember off the top of my head, that phrase that you had, you thought this was the wildest finish you've seen 500-wise or just 500 in general? 
just, you know, 500 in general. And, you know, I think the, look, it was the fourth closest finish in, in the history of the race. Uh, yeah, the phrase I used was auto, automotive Darwinism. You know, I, I just, it was survival of the, of the fittest and survival of the ones with the biggest onions. I mean, a one lap shootout is just incredible. And I, I just, I just found the whole, the whole thing, the race, the, the quals, the bump that, you know, what, what turned out to be a bump day for Graham Rahal. I thought it was really compelling theater all month long. And uh, I just thought it was, it was, it was the best race that I have witnessed in the, you know, the time that I've been in Indianapolis. Yeah, Bob, when you bring up the entire month, Jake and I were discussing earlier, it's not just the 325, 330,000 right. that were there on Sunday. I mean, huge crowds for quals, huge crowds for Carb Day. Why do you think we have seen this resurgence, if you will, where you look at the past 25 years, all of a sudden, 2023 levels outside of the 100th are unlike anything we've seen. Do you chalk it up to post-pandemic? Do you chalk it up to Doug Bowles reaching into a younger generation? What do you point to? Yeah, I think it's all those things. I think they've done a really good job. Penske and and Bowles and and, and you know Mark Miles and all those folks have definitely reached out to uh, a new demographic. Uh, have tried to make it younger. You know, the Snake Pit bringing that back in in, in its current form was a great a great idea. Uh, you wouldn't catch me dead in there, but you know, but it's the kind of thing my daughters would love to do and have done. Um, you know, I, I think I think the racing is is fabulous, and, and people recognize a good show when they see it. Um, yeah, I, I think I think the 100th running really was kind of that inflection point. Uh, of course, the pandemic screwed up everything, but you know, post pandemic, I think people are finding out that this is a, a, a worthy attraction for them to to commit to, and. Uh, yeah, they've been getting great crowds, and it wouldn't shock me if we get another sellout here in the next couple of years. Bob, do you think I had mentioned this earlier, um, and this sounds crazy, but when I was a kid, you know, my parents, I went to my first Indianapolis 500 when I was eight and a half years old, and I remember my parents kind of like warning me ahead of time, now you're going to see some things out here, Jake. Yeah, they, right. And like it was, and you know, that was the wild, wild west back in the glory days of the snake pit, et cetera, et cetera. There has been a concerted effort, and it doesn't, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. There's been a concerted effort over time to make not all, and the place is big enough to kind of accommodate every intention, but to make it more family friendly. Absolutely. Do you think in any way, shape, or form that is an impact and that we're starting to now see the fruits of that labor? Because there is still the area where like, the college-age kids can go and just let all hell break loose, and that doesn't impede the family environment of it in other areas of the track. Are we starting to yeah. finally see that result? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. You know, I re- I'll never forget, uh, I had just come here from Denver, and uh, I brought my little girls to uh, Carb Day. They really want to go to Carb Day. Well, we were there for about 10 minutes, I swear to you, and we saw three people throwing up and two fights. And my little daughter said, Daddy, can we go home? So, you know, that's the way it used to be, and it's not anymore. Now, it is in the snake pit where my daughter somehow contracted the swine flu. Don't ask me how. But, uh, yeah, yeah, from being in the snake pit. But, uh, yeah, they've done a really good job of compartmentalizing 
um, the the Indy 500 experience. You know, you can you can do the family thing, the Disney thing. Uh, if you want, you can do the debauchery thing if you want. Um, so yeah, I think they've done a tremendous job. Doug Bowles and that whole crew have uh, made it made it so that you know you you don't have to tell your kids you're going to see things that you probably shouldn't see. Bob Kravitz from the Athletic with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Bob, I don't mean to sound morbid with this question, but it is one that I have thought about here kind of in, in maybe recent months, recent years. When you think about, you know, massive figures in our, you know, market from a sports standpoint, you know, Jim Irsay, Herb Simon, Roger Penske would be pretty high up on that list. When you think about those three organizations that those three men own, are you more, I guess, which one are you more curious about post Jim Irsay, post Herb Simon, post Roger Penske? Would it be the Colts, the Pacers, or IMS? Well, that's a great question. Uh, You're giving me more column ideas. I appreciate that. Um, You know, I mean, I think think the Colts are in pretty good hands. I I know that the daughters are are deeply involved, uh, certainly some more than others, but they're deeply involved in preparing for the day when Jim is no longer with us. Um, Simon's got he he's got his plan with with you know his family, um, you know I I think probably IMS you know uh, what where does it go after Roger Penske uh, I think that's uh, I think that's a, a reasonable um, you know fear to have because he's such a singular figure and has done so much and and, and put so much money uh, into the speedway. Uh, you, you wonder who can possibly come in and do it the way that Roger has. That's a good question. Bob Kravitz is our guest. He's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Of course, you can read his work at The Athletic. Bob, I am curious, um, switching sports here, because you would be amongst the four of us, the expert in this category. Um, Florida Panthers, Las Vegas Knights, favorite who? Wait a minute. That's not the final. Yeah, there's no final yet. Wait, what's it? the Panthers aren't in yet? They haven't clinched. I thought the Panthers are in. No, boy, for being a hockey show. No, wait. A minute. What what game did we just say is Saturday? No, the final starts, but the, <laughs> the series is still going on. What are you wait talking about? No, no, dead. Go the Golden Knights and uh, yeah, wait, yeah, the Golden, Golden Knights, Knights Panthers game one is Saturday. Didn't we say that already? Saturday. Yeah, I, I, I just had a brain fart. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, Mark, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> no, I was saying that, yeah, the final hasn't started yet. I know, but yeah, I'm saying no. the finals are set now, right? We let's know who the final is. Let's just restart. Let's you, forget you, the last 30 seconds. You're absolutely right. I, I just... I just Bob is the resident hockey expert of the group. Let me ask a question. Bob, Mark had five beer bats yesterday <laughs> at the Indians game. Apologies. No, look, I, I, th- I like Florida. And I think that, I think that uh, the Golden Knights have a better team. But I, 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 re- I really like the way the goalie, Sergei Bobrovsky, who I know Jake knows very well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Household name. He is, he's on one of those old, old goalie runs that we see every once in a while where you have a guy who's had a good career but never much of a postseason career, and he is on it. He is really solid, square to the puck, playing smart. So I think Florida has got that pixie dust on it and I think Florida is going to somehow win this uh, series probably in six or seven games you know it is interesting though Bob 
and this is about all I know about hockey, admittedly. But the last time that I think, because goaltenders on hot streaks are a thing. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And the one that I always think of as an example, and I think it was the Panthers, was it not? Didn't John Van Beesbrook go on a hot Van streak? Beesbrook. And that was like a storyline, right? That was a thing. That was 1996. I was uh, in Colorado uh, writing about the Avalanche. And the Avs blew them out in, in the uh, Stanley Cup final. They, they swept them four games to nothing. But Van Beesbrook, they they beat um, the the uh, Pittsburgh uh, Penguins with Yager and Lemieux and all those guys in the Eastern Conference Finals, and yeah, it was all Van Beesbrook. He was tremendous until he ran into the Avalanche. Bob Kravitz with us here on the Bayless Liquors Hotline from the Athletic. Bob, we are, I guess, tomorrow at midnight. Zach Eady decision to return to Purdue um, is still, I guess, up in the air. Certainly, I haven't seen anything publicly on that. Um, are you surprised we haven't seen anything on that? And do you have a gut feeling one way or the other on Zach Eady's decision? My, I, I'm not surprised because he said very clearly that he's going to wait till the last second to make a decision. I think he's coming back. That that's just a gut feeling. Don't you know? I'm not starting any rumors. It's not inside information. I've been talking to his mom. Um, I think he comes back because I think there's unfinished business at Purdue, uh, and I think that he's finding out. And I have not been up at the combine, so I don't know how he's performed. But I, I think he's still viewed as a mid to late second round pick, and you know. I don't know that he can improve his draft stock by staying in for another year, but I think, you know, when you're looking at second round numbers, second round finances, you know, and the fact that he makes almost a million dollars in NIL cash, I think he's going to come back to Purdue. Bob Kravitz with us here. Shifting gears, Colts had their first open OTA session last week. Bob, I know you have been more on the side of go ahead and sit Anthony Richardson um, at least early in year one. What do you think the Colts, like how do you think the Colts are, are, are viewing things? Like we saw last Thursday, for example, when we were out there, you know, Minshew and Richardson each took half of the starting reps. Do you think the Colts have an early feeling one way or the other on what they plan to do with Richardson? Yeah, uh, what that feeling is, I don't know. Um, but, uh, it, look, it's clear that Ursay wants him to play. I think Steichen very much would like him to play. I think Ballard is more of the don't crown him yet, in, in the don't crown him yet camp. Um, I think they have a better idea now that they're playing some 11 on 11 and they've had a chance to install the offense and see just how much he – he can he can uh, take in and understand. I think they have a, a better idea now than they did a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think they would like to get him out there as early as humanly possible. Um, but I don't think they're going to take any risks with this guy. This is a guy you're hoping and expecting will be your franchise quarterback for the next 10, 10 to 12 years. And you don't want to risk him losing his confidence or playing. Be- People forget he's playing behind an offensive line that gave up 60 sacks last year. And I realized that, you know, they had statues back there for the most part, except for Sam. Um, and the numbers won't be quite as bad, but still they were pretty porous last year. And I just don't want to see this guy get his brains beat in. 
Bob, did they adequately enough, or do you think there's still work to do? And I know it's a tired subject, but the receiver position, you got a young quarterback, he's going to have to have targets. We know that they drafted, obviously, Downs, who is, you know, theoretically going to be the over the middle or the, the, the guy that can, you know, catches everything, right? But right. do they have the deep ball threat? Do they have the over the middle guy outside of Pittman? You lose Campbell. Did they do enough to get him weapons? No, they rarely do. And they don't have the take the top off of a defense guy. Uh, I don't think they've got enough at tight end. They've got about 14 guys in that tight ends room. And I'm not sure any of them are worthy of being a, being a big-time starter. So, no, you know, I, you know, I would hope they'd do more. You know, I'm curious, what do you guys think of DeAndre Hopkins as an option? I would think he would want no part of coming here. I would think he would want no part of coming here, too. But I would think that the Colts should be interested if yeah. they want to be competitive. I mean, I love him as a player. I, you know, I, he might be getting a little long in the tooth, but... I think it's important to have a veteran wideout. I mean, I think Reggie was that for Andrew Luck, and I think you right. know, that was really important for Andrew's early development. Um, again, it's a two-way street, so Hopkins can certainly pick where he wants to go as well. Um, honestly, every time I see DeAndre Hopkins' name pop up, Bob... What immediately I think about is how Bjorn Werner was drafted five spots ahead of him. Oh, oh, that that isn't right. DeAndre Hopkins, by the way, didn't he have some combine issues here? Was supposedly he, like- he and another roommate uh, left poo on the wall in their hotel room at the combine. Although later I think it was determined that was the other player. I don't know that for a fact, but um, I remember being asked talk about marking your territory in a in a different wow. show that I was doing. I was a Hopkins homer because I'd watched every play that he played at Clemson, and he he never right. dropped a single pass. And that was when Bill Polian said he was not first round talent. <clears throat> so everybody's like, "No, nope, Jake, you're you're a homer." <laughs> Mr. Polian said he's on ESPN. He's not first round talent. I'm, okay, he's pretty yeah. good. Mr. Polian also said that Lamar Jackson had to accept the fact that he's a he's a running back. So yeah, I you know the all you need to know the. You know what's funny, Bob? There were a lot of people that thought, and who am I to defend Bill Polian all the time, right? But there were a lot of people that thought that about Lamar Jackson. And then you wondered to yourself, how in the like, what were they watching? I mean, the guy was unbelievable in college, and, and still is, for that matter. And it does make you wonder if since then that's opened the door for other guys that that have that similar kind of a skill set. If that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, there's no question. And. You know, I saw something in the story recently that, you know, five of the six uh, most highly paid quarterbacks in the league are what you would call athletic quarterbacks, you know, uh, if you if you look at the numbers. So, uh, clearly, I mean, I really think that, like, Justin Herbert, he he used to be the, the model for what you wanted in the quarterback, but I think that changed so much that when he came along, people are like, yeah, you know, that's yesterday's news, not realizing that that kind of quarterback uh, can still be incredibly effective. Bob, coming up, by the way, and folks can find out more about this at ALS.org slash Indiana. You have upcoming an annual golf event that you do. This is going to be on Monday, July 31st, if I'm not mistaken. It's the Bob Kravitz Golf Outing to defeat ALS. Um, I, I don't know, Bob, that there is a more cruel disease. Any disease is cruel. I don't yeah. know that any is more cruel than ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. 
Um, I know that it has a personal touch to you. And so you began doing this a handful of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. This is going to be July 31st. So take me through the golf outing that is going to benefit the Indiana chapter for ALS, how people can get involved, uh, how they can play, where they're going to play, and what they can do to help out. Sure, sure. Uh, and thank you for uh, for asking me about it. Uh, July 31st at Highland Golf and Country Club. Um, if you want to join as an individual or uh, as a foursome or do be a sponsor, uh, call Kelly Smith. And her number is 317-800-5519. Um, it's a blast. Um, it's something that's very important to me and to a lot of people in this uh, in this state and city. Uh, I lost my mom to ALS in 2007. I wanted to do something to you know honor her. And uh, this is the 11th annual. And uh, I just asked Bowen if he would play uh, because I I know that Bowen's gonna gonna win. <laughs> well, Bob, I've been fortunate to play in that outing before. It's outstanding. Um, you do a terrific job with it. And Highland, that course is always in beautiful shape. So nice Fantastic. work on getting a little Highland action in there. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're really looking forward to that, just starting to reach out to celebrities. And uh, hopefully we have a great field and uh, we're, we're ready to go. Thanks for asking. 317-800-5519. Correct. Kelly, for Kelly Smith. Smith. 800 Again, ALS.org Indiana, where you can find out all the information for the Bob Kravitz golf outing to defeat ALS on Monday, July 31st at Highland Country Club. ALS.org Indiana. Bob, we'll continue to plug that when you come on with us here. Um, so appreciate the time on this Tuesday morning and uh, hopefully see you later this week. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Bob Kravitz right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I knew he I wasn't and, crazy about the Stanley Cup Final. I'm a diehard hockey fan. He does an outstanding job with that a for a great cause. Yeah, that got really weird there for a brief second. I was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I, like is my brain fried right now? Which there were moments uh, that I've been thinking it has been fried, but I was like, I could have sworn this was right. I mean, if anything. All I've known is that after that conversation, we are now the official hockey show. Sit down, Hockey Night in Canada. <laughs> and you know it was one of those things where Jake and I, the two non-hockeyers, if you will, were kind of like, "Oh boy, did we just say the wrong thing?" Listen, it's been a long month for everybody. Fair. You know, we'll say something to the IMS crowd standpoint. By the way, Santino Ferrucci joined us here in uh, ten minutes. You th- like take my sister-in-law for example. She's twenty-five years old. Okay, for the last probably handful of years but maybe it's just been kind of three to four years she has done the infield with her group of college friends and they i think for the most part they haven't done like co-clot into the infield i think they've just woken up like super early sunday morning boom infield and that's been their race experience this year her father-in-law and her uncle um kind of have a group of tickets together and she was like i want to sit with you guys that that's where I want to be. Right. And you just think about that pattern, Jake, of okay, 20, 21, 22, 23 year old Anna Lubbers wants to be boom, uh, snake pit experience with her college friends. And now at 25, she's gotten to the point where like, all right, 
I'm not in that mode anymore, but I want to go sit in the stands. Like I want to experience it from a different side. I of mean, it. that's the blueprint, right? Like, isn't that what Doug Bowles pops up on the slideshow or his marketing team? Pop, you know, pops up in a meeting and say, "This is the age path and the linear sort of trajectory that we would love to get for yeah. a fan." Like that's the experience. So again, for probably 95 percent of our listening audience. You want nothing to do with the infield on race day, nothing to do with the EDM concert, whatever. But you know what? Out of the 10 people that are in there, and just take a group of 10, if you get one or two to then say at age 25, 26, I want to go sit in the stands, you're doing your job. Which moment of the Indy 500 more solidifies to you the power of the event? A... The crowd at the checkered flag in New Garden going into the stands. B, 330,000 people totally silent during taps. <clears throat> or C, seeing the like afterburners of the Jets as they go screaming straight upward after their second flyover of back home again. Boy, that's a great one. Um, I don't think it's a massive gap between them, Jake. I think they're all pretty close, but I would say in order, the silence of taps, the anticipation of the flyover, and, and again, that second flyover during back home again in Indiana, like it literally looked like they were going to take out the pagoda. I mean, it was like, and I'm how you. low are they? And just, I could feel the hair on my neck stand up. And then third would be the New Garden Soul. When they, when they do the flyover, my first thought is... How big an event does it need to be to be able to get like not one but two flyovers and like to that level of power, you know? Right. Right. Those particular fighter jets, I thought I read at do you want to guess the max speed? Oh gosh. I wouldn't even know where to yeah, guess. I don't know where to guess either. The max speed. What's your guess? Come on. Well, after the hockey incident, it's probably good if we just sit (laughs) one out here. I'm going off of like Top Gun Maverick thoughts. I don't know. 450 miles an hour. I I don't even know if that's fast. I was going to say 600 miles. I have no idea. I mean, is it more like? I I don't even think I'm using the right mile per hour thing when I talk about plane speed. Uh, They are F-16 Fighting Falcon Vipers. I believe the max speed, I thought I read this, I could be wrong, I believe it's 1,500 miles an hour. Uh, am I way wrong there? I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're, Yeah. I, I again, I have no idea, to, I couldn't even venture a guess. I would say our education level today maybe hasn't been as high as it has been before. <laughs> what do we do we on this program, We should have saved this Mark? for yesterday's show. 1,300. All of our, all of our 1,300. The F-16 Fighting Falcon, a.k.a. the Viper, can reach impressive top speeds of Mach 1.7, just over 1,300 miles per hour. The average cruising speed is 577 miles per hour. Yeah, Michael says this pretty well to the question you just asked, Jake. How about D, all the above? Yeah. And that's what makes the event so great is that you have those different, very different moments that elicit such an emotional response from all of us, no matter the age, in my opinion, no matter, you know, background, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, look at how your Australians, Jake, have reacted to their experience. And I would say one of the louder cheers we heard on Sunday as well was when Santino Ferrucci got introduced. He's going to join us here coming up in about five minutes before that. We got the heat in the finals. The morning checkdown. Omaha!
on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Heat indeed 103.84 over the Boston Celtics last night. That means that Miami now advances into the NBA Finals to take on the Denver Nuggets. Jimmy Butler, who was named the MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals with 28 points. Caleb Martin had 26 and 10 for Miami, who came back to win game seven after surrendering three straight because they got a three love. They end up winning the series four games to three. Boston looked like a total mess, and Jason Tatum hurt his ankle. Did Jalen Brown hurt his contract negotiations with how poor he played in these in this oh, Eastern Conference Finals? I think he's still going to get a max deal, to be honest with you. What he, I don't know if he gets the super max out of them, though. You think the, the number of suitors might have gone down, or you think that one game doesn't matter? I don't know. It might be a, a contract bit maze. of an overreaction, but he was bad all series. I mean, yes, the eight turnovers last night stood out. I bet but the Pacers would love to have him. Nuggets um, and Heat game one on... Thursday, Mark, what did I see? Minus 360. Is that Denver's favorite? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, if you're trying to make money and you still think the Nuggets are going to win, the best idea is going to go with series of games and whatnot. By the way... Eight and a half point favorite Denver in game one. It is guaranteed, by the way, that this will be the ninth time the NBA champion has an Indiana University basketball product on the mm-hmm. roster. The NBA probably didn't love game seven last night, but they're probably glad it went to a game seven so they didn't have that giant gap in finals games. Yeah, although that could have got Shaq here, maybe. That's true. That's right. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday, Cardinals beaten by the Royals 7-0. It was the Cubs 1-0 over Tampa. And cute fella on the short end, Cleveland beats him 5-0. Oakland Athletics, they'll break them up. They won yesterday. Uh Indianapolis Indians 12-6 over Toledo. A parade in Oakland today. Or maybe the parade will be in (laughs) Vegas. (laughs) A parade of one, I think, probably. (laughs) Getting the W there. Uh, The banquet last night. Benjamin Peterson is your rookie of the year for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Joseph Newgarden for that victory. It is $3.6 million for him. Marcus Erickson just a shade over $1 million. Santino Ferrucci 481000 for third. You'll notice Alex Pillow in fourth nearly double that. Um, the reasons for that comes from Pillow on the pole and Pillow leading you know, a decent amount of laps. So Jake kind of was explaining a little bit earlier, your status as a full-time driver, which Ferrucci is as well, that plays into it. But, you know, pole position, where you start on the grid, and then how many laps you lead also contribute to how much money you take home. The purse was over $17 million. Is it safe to say that Santino Ferrucci is the official driver of the show? Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly. You know, when the roars happen on Sunday, I'm like, do, this, do you think any of these people listen to his interview and that's why they're cheering louder? That's it. That's or maybe exactly. his paint scheme had something to do with when he that. took the lead. I cheered out loud. And I was like, "Yeah, go Santino!" <laughs> it was pretty awesome. It was indeed. Santino Ferrucci joins us next after finishing third in the Indianapolis 500. Now, this admittedly might have been. <clears throat> um, oh, okay. <clears throat> I had texted Ferrucci, actually his PR person, and. You know, just said, hey, and she said, now nah, 9.30 works. And then admittedly, 100% on me, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, once I confirmed it, I didn't. she didn't write back to say, like, yes, indeed. Um, but this is why he is the fan favorite of the show and the favorite of the show. Because I texted him, was like, hey, I, I forgot to confirm. And he's like, oh, no problem. I'm calling right now. So he joins us now on the Payless Stickers hotline. The man is always on it. He is always on it. I And I knew... Let me tell you what happened to me during the parade. I'm sitting in the parade on Pennsylvania, and I was on, we were sitting in the chairs right there, like on the curb, and the drivers that were on the inside of each row, you know, were like right by me. And and here comes the inside of row two, 
and I look, and Ferrucci's got on these shoes. Oh, it shoes was like red, white, and blue yeah, socks uh-huh. and the whole deal, and they're hanging off. And I mean, I, I could have like reached out and hit him, but I thought to myself, now this dude has so much style that, that there's no chance he's that he's going to do anything other than another top 10. Santino Ferrucci, who joins us on the show. Santino, you made history on Sunday, so my trivia question for you is, do you know what history you made? For myself? Yes. Uh, I think I joined one of three drivers ever in five starts to be in the top 10 in their first five starts. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. And as a matter of fact, um, you are now the only driver to have made at least five starts in the Indy 500 that has never finished outside the top 10 because the others did it after the fact. So no pressure for you to continue the streak. Um, but and by the way, that's five top 10s with, is that four different teams? Yeah, four different teams, five top 10, two top five. Pretty good. Yeah, I'd say. Now, did I'm assuming you were not able to hear it. But when one of the red flags happened, it might have been the last one, Calabro on the public address was doing like a survey of fans. Okay, you know, who's cheering for Rossi? Who's cheering for Erickson? Who's cheering for Newgarden? Uh, I'm not kidding you, and I'm not saying it because you're on the show right now. I I think you got the loudest roar. I think you had the highest number of, of, like, votes, if you will. Are you aware of it? Are you aware of the fact that you are becoming a fan favorite of the Indianapolis 500? Um, I will say, though... Hearing the fans cheer for the 14, uh, that's honestly kind of what kept me sane during those reds. Because you can hear the crowd. It was so different for when they called out for AJ Boy Racing and all of us. And honestly, yeah, I love the place. I love the fans. You know, I spend as much time uh, in front of the garage as possible all month long. And, you know, um, just a privilege to be there. So, uh, obviously, I hope that we can kind of take on that role a little bit for sure um being good with the, all of that and becoming a more popular driver so uh yeah I was, it's awesome seventh fourth sixth tenth and third that is the indy 500 career for santino ferrucci it's darn impressive he joins us here on the payless liquors hotline santino i'm watching the banquet last night you mentioned you got a pretty emotional um pre-race is that an annual emotion for you pre-race or was it a little bit more this year and why do you think so um no it's not an annual emotion you know normally I've, I've always been really excited having a lot of fun um definitely just really enjoying it i think just like i said last night in my speech you know it's just such a tough month emotionally with you know all of our family and friends and obviously with the passing of aj's wife and all that you know just there is so much riding on what we were doing at the speedway and how competitive we were and it was emotional because we also knew we had one of cars to win we woke up that morning knowing that we would be there in the end you know god willing and everything went as as it did and we were there at the end and you know obviously if you change some circumstances a little bit it you know could have been us uh, on the top step Santino, I remember having you on this week last year, and I'm sitting there kind of dumbfounded on why you didn't have a full-time IndyCar ride. You now have that this year with AJ Foyt Racing. As you sit here a year later, you know how do you kind of view yourself within the IndyCar paddock in the next three to five years? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously hope that I'm still around in the next three to five years. Nothing's a given in this sport. Um... 
I really enjoy, I'm enjoying my time at AJ Coy Racing. Uh, I do want to continue what we're working on and what we're building. Um, I think it was really cool to come into the, to the series with them and they, the fact that they gave me that opportunity to drive for them um, has been amazing and incredible. Uh, and I'd really like to make something with this team. You know, I'd like to, to pull the team from where it was uh, you know, 24th and 22nd in the championship, and I'd like to bring it into the top 10 competing for wins because that would make me feel really accomplished as a driver knowing that I could do that as well. Santino, one of the things that, you know, I think a lot of people, quite frankly, it was eye-popping to see the speeds that A.J. Foyt Racing was able to provide, both for you and for Benjamin Peterson. Um, how much of that is Michael Cannon, who, for those that are not familiar with the sport, is one of the top engineers, and A.J. Foyt Racing was able to, to hire him this year. Um, how big a difference do you I, – I realize for you, also new to the team, but what kind of mind is that that you're able to have to, to be able to find speed in those cars? Yeah, I mean – he was my rookie year. He was my engineer in 2018 for a brief uh, when I was filling in in Detroit. And then obviously he engineered my car in all of 2019 where we had uh, three top fives with three fourth place finishes. Um, and we almost won a couple of races. You know, we felt like we had some unfinished business. Um, I obviously let him know where I was going before I signed the contract because I wanted his opinion. And, you know, and I trusted him. And eventually, you know, can you imagine a couple months down the road when he's uh, a free agent? Um, he called me and he wanted to come come to AJ to work with me again. And, um, yeah, it was uh, definitely pretty awesome. And, you know, he just brought a lot of, you know, knowledge to the team as far as just structure, just kind of how we're doing things. There's nothing magical that really, as he says, that makes these cars go around. You know, it's, it's just take, it takes time and, it, you know, it takes precision and, uh, it takes everybody to make that car. And yes, the setups are obviously awesome. What we've done with the car over the winter time has obviously been heavy. But at the same day, or at the same point, me and my teammate had the same car the entire month. So you still have to drive it uh, 100%. You know, and it's, it's never an easy feat. You go into that race on Sunday knowing that there's at least 10 or 12 cars that can win that race. Um, and at you know, I was fortunate enough to have one of the cars that was more than capable of winning that race. Um, and, yeah, we still ended up third. So, it's tough. Where did they ha- – I can't remember, Santino, on the final red, when they had to – when they – when they went back and then they kind of repositioned everybody for the brief moment there, were you, were, did they have you second for a split second? And then you went back to fourth. Is that right? I was second. Um, yeah. When we, when we went under caution and they put me back to third, I mean, I looked back at the replay, um, and they made the right call. Um, you know, I wasn't ahead of Joseph when they called the yellow. Uh, you can see the light switch. I was about a nose, like a, not even the front wing, but like the main plane away from being ahead of him. Hmm. Um, so, but I think Indy Car at the end of the day, I think they got a lot of uh, mixed reviews from the drivers. I told Jay Fry last night that look, I supported the decision to finish under green. I think it's a big thing for the fan. It's a true way to win a race um, for sure, especially around the speedway. Um, I didn't benefit me. Uh, if anything, it hurt. Hurt. What hurt me was the fact that they were crashing for twentieth. <laughs> Not, not anything that IndyCar did. Santino, you think, 
if they pulled the 33 drivers and get you know okay honest anonymous opinion was the red flag the final red flag the right decision how many of the 33 would say it was indeed the right decision i don't know i actually haven't talked to a lot of drivers um so i don't want to i don't want to obviously uh speak for the field but um i do know that there was definitely a couple of guys for it um and i do know there was a couple that weren't for it but um yeah, it's like I said. In my in my heart, they made the right call, um, regardless of the winner. So I'm just happy that we finished under green for the fans, and they got to see that that uh, spectacular finish. Santino, Jake brought up a moment from the parade on Saturday, and I've got my own that I wanted to share with you, um, and not to turn this into a Kevin Bowen family tree, but my brother-in-law's niece attended her first Indy 500 on Sunday. She was at the parade Saturday, the parade's coming to an end, and all of a sudden, you, Santino Ferrucci, take off your hat, sign it, and hand it to her, and the look on her face, yes, little Kara Duncan, the look on her face Sunday morning when she told me that story... I mean, the grin was as wide as 465. It was absolutely incredible to see her beaming. So, among all those fans that we heard of the 330,000, a little eight-year-old Kara Duncan is a massive fan. So, thank you for that. No, of course. I mean, it was. I love the parade. I love seeing the people. They mean, they, we have this race only because they support us. If they didn't support us, we wouldn't be racing. So, you know, to see that and to, to make her day, you know, I saw her there. We were coming to the end, um, and I was getting ready to have back to the bus, and she looked like, obviously, she looked like she was a new fan, and she was having a good time. So I'm very happy that she got the hat. Small world with her year right there. Certainly. <laughs> it was funny. But uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very grateful. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for all the fans that were out there to, and during the parade. I'm happy that she got her hat. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I wish it was uh, if we won the next day. <laughs> Would have made it very special, but Santino, if we can, we'll see if the cell phone holds on here for another couple of minutes because I wanted to ask you this. I heard, I don't know if it's, well, I'm going to let you tell me if this is a rumor or a fact. I had heard, and I think it was Long Beach. I can't remember if it was Long Beach or Barber, but one of the races that we have run so far this year in IndyCar, in one of the driver meetings, there was a vote of like, hey, here's one area where the track is just too narrow. Can we all agree to not use that as a passing zone and just understand that there's not going to be any passing in that corner? And everybody said like, yeah, and then you were like, hell no, I'll pass. And everybody's like, yeah, that- <laughs> fact or fiction? That happened. That was in Long Beach. Everybody, so we've been going there for how many years now? There's never been an issue. And now all of a sudden, it's, well, let's not make that a passing zone. Like, what? It was in the airplane. What's wrong with you people? We're race car drivers. If you can't figure out how to have a gentleman's agreement to not get through there on the start, that's on you. And that's a respectful loss. Because you need to have respect in this sport. Because it's also dangerous, you know, and that's one of the big things at the speedway to where, you know, you saw some big wrecks, you know, we got really lucky a couple of times on, on Sunday, especially with that tire coming off. I just, I think people kind of do forget how safe the cars, you know, the cars are only so safe to a fault. They are incredibly safe compared to what they ran 10 years ago, five years ago, even. I mean, it's just... I think some drivers take that too much for granted, 
Um, but so some of the respect between drivers wheel to wheel has definitely gone away, I think, compared to what it was uh, back in the heydays. But um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I know passing zone on a professional series sport in one of the races, one of the biggest races of the year, like Long Beach. You got to be kidding me. I was losing my mind. I was laughing. I just get this I forget, impression. I forget whose idea. Well, I forget whose idea it was, but it was a dumb one. I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying. Like I'm not saying that you necessarily <laughs> are actively looking to be the guy that wears the black hat and is like the villain of the series, which every racing series kind of needs. Kyle Busch is kind of that guy in NASCAR, but at the same time, you strike me as a guy that isn't overly worried about whether or not you're the most popular guy in the paddock. True. I just want to be myself. Um, if I ruffle some feathers along the way, it's totally fine. Um, you know, I, I'm i not asking for much. I just, I also race the way that I'd like to be raced. So if I run someone hard, I expect to be run hard back. You know, when I race the guys that I respect a lot, like Dixon, Tanon, Power, Felix, um, you know, I, I race them clean. But I, you know, it's not anything where I put myself at any risk to them at any risk or any harm. So I truly believe in that. And that's something that Max Happ has taught me. So, and he's our series director. Last question, well, Santino. Um, last question, real quick. I'm not asking you specifically. That would be rude of me. But as a general rule, because people ask me this all the time after the banquet. Hey, Jake, how much of that money does a driver actually take home? My understanding has always been high end, probably 40% for the driver, maybe some a little bit lower or a little higher than that. But that's a fair guess. Is that a fair statement? Um, I actually couldn't I couldn't tell you because they didn't announce what we made <laughs> until they did Joseph's. And I think, you know, part of those numbers are obviously, um, you know, a lot of a lot of that number that you do see most of the time goes to the team um, because it's in a it's what's, what's called a leadership circle. So, you know, it, it skews everything a little bit. I mean, I think our car made that day almost half a million bucks. Um, I'm not sure how that money falls between me and the team, or um, but to be honest with you. I'm just really happy how we ran, and we raised. We've been raising so much money in, in the light of things for homes for troops and for all those vets. I mean, I I am more excited to see what that dollar amount is at the end of the month because those guys truly deserved it, and I've met so many. So yeah, we you know we make some money on that day if you place well, but obviously. When you drive for a cause, you know, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what you're, you're trying to raise money for and awareness for. Uh, at least that's how it was in my eyes this year. Santino, you don't need me to tell you this, but don't stop being you, man. It's why I think our listening audience absolutely loves every time you hop on with us and certainly part of the reason why you got the cheers that you did on Saturday and Sunday. So thanks for what you did at the parade. Obviously, congrats on the third-place finish. Good luck this week in Detroit, and uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be rooting for you as always. Thank you, boys. I really appreciate you having me on this morning. Y'all have a great week. You do the same, ma'am. Santino Ferrucci, right down the Payless Liquors Hotline. Jake, 7th, 4th, 6th, 10th, 3rd. Pretty solid. And again, four different teams. Four different teams. Pretty solid. Pretty incredible. Uh, we'll do it one final time here, Kevin Corey. Mark Dykton is the... 
Kevin and Quarry on 935 exactly. and 107.5. The Fan. Let's have some radio decorum I was just here. about to call you the executive producer of the program, and then you started firing buttons to talk over me, so fine. I'll take the pay bump. But. Not one of our finest shows, I, w- I would say. <laughs> Excuse me? I think it was one of the best shows we've ever had. Oh. Uh, podcast Agree with- to disagree. Joseph Newgarden, we replayed that interview. Santino Ferrucci, awesome as always. Bob Kravitz as well. It's actually the potty cast for a little bit there, Mark, with your hijinks earlier. Know what Apologies you're to about. Scotty. We'll get back into the pop quiz tomorrow. I was going to ask if Mark wanted to make the executive decision as to whether or not we do the podcast. Kevin just pulled the rug or out the, from excuse under me. me. Excuse me, the pop quiz today. I'm noticing the shirt is starting to rip. The Notre Dame baseball shirt you yeah. have on there? Well, that you know that usually happens around year 30. How long have you had it? Well, uh, yeah, it is nearing that. There were some pictures of Ryan Bowen, who's five and a half years older than me, wearing this at like age 14. So. <laughs> I think Kevin was just hinting that he's going to go shirtless in the last three minutes of the show. Well, to yeah, celebrate Notre Dame's l- lacrosse national title, maybe I will. There are some moments, you know, and I hate to admit this publicly, how often I think about this, but all of a sudden I just start smiling and thinking about Micah Shrewsbury coaching Notre Dame basketball. And it makes me really happy. They got some players coming there too, right? Including his son? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it might be a slow process. But yes, they will. I mean, they do have some. But um, I just, again, I am very happy that that man is coaching Notre Dame basketball. What does the Joyce Athletic Center hold? Oh, boy. 12 Whatever I, whatever it's I a pretty see, pathetic. I've, I've never been in it. I, I've only seen it on TV. When You know, Indiana and Notre Dame had a pretty good home-and-home home back in the day. And it was always a tough place to play. It was kind of dimly. It looked dimly lit, and like it looked like it was just like a, um, like it was one of the. Con- it looked like it was the one of the convention halls at the convention center, like the big yeah. exhibit halls at the convention. That's probably center. a good way to describe it. Now it has been remodeled a bit, so it looks a little bit more modern. But again, uh, intimidating environments in that building. Um, not too many of them lately. And do a I show mean, remote from the home opener. Oh. A dream, Kevin with his. Oh, I could. ND we could stop at Coco. Oh, Jake could take us around campus, yeah. and then we could uh-huh. head up. I'll try to say, <laughs> buy, 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 buy these books for me. Only I, I am still trying to buy the sell the books. By the way, it's absurd. Uh, if you not yeah. interested in that, I got some jockey underwear in my trunk. <laughs> if you care to venture in there, uh, now at the hip hugger, uh, I don't think uh, I got to pay off my graduation speeding ticket somehow, right? Yeah. Here you go, officer. Our friend Bob, listener Bob, when I got the speeding ticket, like blew up my phone. Like you, you clearly did something to agitate the officer. This is this is going to be detrimental to your driving record, and your insurance rates are probably going to oh. skyrocket. And I'm like, I, I was ten miles over the speed limit, and for an extra twenty nine bucks, you can defer it and never have it show up on your record. So it's maybe you won't be the only one wearing that you know brace on your ankle in turn three <laughs> next year. Yeah, I mean. uh, we mentioned this early in the show, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Shout out to some of our local baseball teams here from a collegiate standpoint. UND uh, is in the D2 baseball tournament here coming up. And then from a D1 standpoint, the Sycamores of Indiana State, they are hosting a regional with Iowa, North Carolina, Wright State. So hosting nice. means your your top 16, is that right? Yeah, that's They do four 16 right. pods or um 16-14 pods would be the better way to say it. And then Indiana and Ball State heading down to Lexington. You know, I just thought of this. You know Notre Dame actually is technically also UND? right? As well as North Dakota, right? 
Yeah. So we have two UNDs right here in the state of Indiana. Now, the marketing folk down there need to get on that. Hey, well, Adam Driver from UNDy, you know, I thought he did a nice job there mm-hmm. with the green flag. Yeah. Good wrist action. Very good wrist got action. The, got the flag You going. don't see Notre Dame products doing the green flag, do you? <laughs> good point. Really good point. Uh, thank you to Santino Ferrucci. Thank you to Joseph Newgarden, Bob Kravitz as well. Again, we'll uh, continue to get back into the swing of things with Pacers and Colts. Keep you updated on the Zach Eady front as we look ahead to the rest of the week. Game and, one. And I'll continue to keep you folks informed on the Stanley Cup final is the one person here that clearly follows it. Uh, game one of the NBA finals coming up on Thursday. Game one of the Stanley Cup finals coming up on Saturday. Final, final. Everybody have a great Tuesday. <laughs>